We could blame everything that happened on Marco. He was the one who heard about the downed submarine. He was the one who thought we should check it out. And everyone knows that if Marco's up to a challenge, it's def I'm definitely there. Everything was going fine until the explosion. An explosion that blows us millions of years back in time. Back to the age of dinosaurs. Now Tobias, Cassie, Marco, Axe, Jake, and I, Rachel, are fighting for our lives with every step we take. But that's not our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is that we have no idea how to get back to our own time. Welcome, everybody, to the On Air Book Fair podcast. I'm Jay. I'm Miles. I'm Daniel. And this week, we are, after a bit of a frickin' hiatus, but life's busy, hey, uh, we are going into Animorphs Megamorphs number two in the time of dinosaurs. And our last, uh, just a quick follow-up from our uh, previous episode where we discussed uh, the Elemist Chronicles, which is a supreme departure from the teenagers transform into animals to fight aliens canon of uh, the Animorphs series. It was just a big abstract, transcendental sci-fi godhood moral dilemma crisis uh we are returning back to the core uh nature of animorphs which is uh teenagers who don't uh like to eat vegetables and instead want to their junk food uh get grievously injured and then uh commit war crimes and or genocides yeah. ladies and gentlemen it's fucking animorphs hell of a lot of body horror too because you gotta have that um so much. i but nothing's as bad as having to eat broccoli we talked a little bit in the last episode about our history with Animorphs, but just to reiterate, I've read every single book. I absolutely loved them as a kid, and I've reread a couple of them throughout the years, but not a ton of them. This one is one I haven't revisited since I was probably 13-ish, and let me tell you, I, I both love and hate this book uh, because so many parts of it are not great. But also, there's some real fun morality discussions that we're going to be having later. Jamie, I know you've read a good chunk of the books, if not all of them. And Dan, you said you had read uh, read a few, including Hork-Bajir Chronicles, which is, I think, still arguably the favorite of all three of us. But Elemis Chronicles is up there now. Uh, oh, yeah. Elemis Chronicles is currently uh, my all-time fave of K.A. Applegate's works. But um, the only one, yeah, I remember was reading Hork-Bajir Chronicles from my childhood, just because that was, you know, one of the first, like, oh, this is legitimate sci-fi on another planet with people dealing with, like, you know, different alien cultures in a way that Animorphs was kind of like that, but it's just like, these aliens are evil, and this alien is my friend, but he doesn't know what food is like. We're going to teach him about how to watch television. Yeah. Um, real quick, do we want to do a quick little contextualization of these six main characters for anyone who hasn't read the books? Which, if, if you haven't yeah, read the books so, and you start the with Megamorphs do 2, that's jump a around hard, between but... their pre Yeah. Um, yeah. So... Starting off, we've got Jake. Uh, we never learn any of their last names, except for Jake and Rachel's last names. We know their last names, but shh. Uh, but Jake, yes, like at the very, very end of the series, we learn Jake's last name. It's Berenson, and Rachel is his cousin, so maybe she has the same last name, depending. I don't remember if it's made clear whether she's related through her mom's side or her dad's side, um, but... Either way, Jake, he's the leader of the group because he's because he's the leader of the group. Uh, and he's I think at some point they even like lampshade like you just are, dude. I don't know. He's the he's the Red Ranger. There's like, yeah, he's he, he sort is, of uh, his personality is like very general, but like somewhat just stalwart and he, and responsible. 
He's the de facto leader of the group, in large part because he's the only one with connections to every single other member of the group, except for Axe, the alien. Um, because they started out as five kids in the suburbs of somewhere in wind South up living Central in a digital California. Land, every, oh, that's something else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Jake, he's the de facto leader of the group, and he takes a lot of responsibility on himself. And for most of the first quarter of the book, he's a daughter for the first quarter of the series, he's a dog shit leader. Um, he has like five thoughts in his basketball shaped brain. And one of those thoughts is basketball. Um, Cause they're all of them. How old would you say? Like they're 14? like 12 or 13 around. Oh, this that's point. awful. Yeah. They're, they're like, they're like 12 or 13 around this point because I think at the end of the series, they're like 16 ish. Um, and the war goes on for a couple of years. Make no mistake, these, as fun of like, we have to save the world from aliens, but proms tomorrow as it is, they are child soldiers. Yeah, they Kay sure Applegate are. does not shy away from that. Yeah, no, and no one's not. more of a child soldier than Rachel, Jake's cousin. Yeah. Uh, she's a, frequently treated as a girly girl, but she's also the biggest ass kicker in the group. Uh, she, she is that, she's that girl in gymnastics who you know is also going to be taking Krav Maga in a couple years. Um, and, she, and yeah, she's badass and she has a, like, slightly unstated but very clearly mutual crush with Tobias, our bird boy. Tobias mm -hmm. didn't start out being a bird. He went on a mission and on their first mission, in fact, everyone else got out, but he got trapped and he had to stay in Red-Tailed Hawk Morph for longer than two hours. And he became what's called a Nothlet and now can't morph anymore. Except the Alamus stepped what? in in book, three, or book 13 and turned him back into a morpher. So now Red-Tailed Hawk is his base state, but he can morph again. Uh, if anyone's listening and has no idea how the Animorph <laughs> stuff work, they got uh, animal transforming powers from an alien, but they can't be in the form of an animal for more than two hours or they get stuck like that forever. Uh, happened to Tobias, he became a hawk, but he made a wish with the uh, protagonist from the last book we read, read the titular Elemist, and mm -hmm. uh, could have become a human again, but instead I'll stay a hawk, but I want morphing powers back. Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, they've got morphing powers. They have to touch a living animal... Uh, to acquire its DNA and be able to turn into it. Uh, let's see. Skipping off of Tobias for a second, because Tobias, Tobias has a lot going on. Uh, it does. And Tobias... Tobias is a complicated character, and I love him very much. Uh, but Jake's best friend, Marco, he's a bit of a shit. Uh, <laughs> he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room, and sometimes he actually is, but it's frustrating because he's really annoying and sexist. Um, yeah. and he uses humor as his coping mechanism for all the trauma he's endured in life, which is quite a bit. Uh, yeah, it's not that great humor most of the time. It, it's usually not, no. Yeah. Um, but he, yeah. I understand you know Marco better as an adult. As a mm -hmm. kid, I just thought Marco was annoying. As an adult, it's like, oh, oh no, <laughs> am I Marco? <laughs> um, but... Yeah, and also we have Rachel's best friend, Cassie. Uh, she and Jake have a crush on each other. She's the, like, crunchy, like, pacifist, earth mother, mystical black girl. Um, 
there's some issues. She with... cares about animals. She's she's a huge benefit to the team because she knows about animals. Mm-hmm. I think her family. She's got connections at the zoo, so yes. that's what they would go to the zoo yeah. and sneak in to like touch a tiger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her family runs an animal rescue through their barn, and her parents are also veterinarians at the local zoo, which is called the Gardens. Uh, oh, it should be noted, Marco's mom is dead and disappeared, and that's why his dad is so deeply sad at the beginning of this book uh, because she's been missing for several years and he's just never really recovered out of his grief, which, you know, is probably understandable. I'm not sure. I've never been in that position and I hope I never am. Um, But yeah, he got thrust into the situation of being a single dad when his uh, wife died. But she's not dead. She's actually leading the Yurk invasion, but shush, shush. Oh, no. The rest of the group doesn't know that. Only only Jake and Marco know that. Um, And then the sixth member of our crew, Axe, or his full name, Aximile Escaruth Isthil. He is a uh, he is a cadet from an alien race called the Andalites, which was kind of started by the Elemist. Uh, oh yeah, the last we saw book. the Andalites yeah. briefly as like a savannah like proto hunter group of blue centaurs with scorpion knife tails. Yes, he is also the younger brother of the Andalite that gave the Animorphs the morphing power. Uh, whose name was, oh. Elfangor? Elfangor yeah. Serenial Shamtul. D- please tell me you have those names written down. Yeah. You don't just know them all right away. No, I know them. I know them. Uh, <laughs> Bruh. Of course I also are. know Visser 3's Andalite form's full name. It's Aloran Semichor Chorus. Uh, <laughs> look, something stick in your brain, just like dinosaur Miles, names. What's the, Miles, what's the capital of South Dakota? <laughs> I don't fucking know. so that's how middle school went for us yeah uh what am am i is it bismarck north dakota bismarck's the capital of north dakota i don't remember either uh (laughs) that was a setup none of us can answer but am i misremembering that i thought elfangor was like tobias's secret dad or something oh yeah yeah Yeah, that that gets andalite chronicles isn't it that is in andalite chronicles it also comes up again in book uh book 33 i want to say it gets brought back up in book 33 which is when tobias finds out about it and realizes that axe is his uncle but they don't know that yet because this takes place around book 17 18 ish Um, one other bit of animorphs lore that i want to put in before we get talking about this book proper is that there's time travel in this book and time travel has happened once before in animorphs and it happened in book 11 which if you don't remember the books uh from memory, which I definitely don't remember all of them, but um, turn off the podcast if you're not a real fucking animorphs head. <laughs> please, please don't do that. We're not trying to gatekeep animorphs. Um, but uh, number eleven is one where they went back in time, but they only went back like eighteen hours or so, um, and they were crashed in the Amazon rainforest. And Jake was the only one who survived. Uh, but whenever they closed the Sario Rip, this thing that is a hole in space time that lets them travel back in time everyone was alive again but only jake could remember it because he was the only one who lived through the events of the sario rip rachel is the one who died first and rachel is also the one who almost died first this time and also rachel is the one who dies at the end of the series so i guess rachel just has to die um but but the reason i bring that up is because so much through the events of this book jake is petrified that several of them are going to die. He is so afraid that they're going to die. And while I understand that because they are your friends, you also, you have experienced this before, Jake. You know that death is not the end if you're in a Sario rip. If you come back, 
They just won't oh. remember anything. You, like, that immediately removes that stake, but it's not basketball, his crush on Cassie, or becoming a stuntman with his morphing abilities someday. Uh, so he doesn't give a shit and can't remember it and can't hold it in his basketball-shaped brain. <laughs> it only has two folds, the ones that go around the basketball. Like that. <laughs> it really does. Jake improves throughout the series as he gets more and more traumatized by being a child soldier, but... <laughs> The one thing I will say about Book 11 <laughs> is watching all of his friends die actually made Jake a slightly better leader. He is a better leader in this book than he was earlier in the series, and that's that's saying something. <laughs> See, I didn't have that perspective that, like, J uh, going into this book, that Jake had, like, uh, you know, some passing familiarity with watching your friends die and be uh, resurrected by time travel. Yeah, and Axe actually knows that, too. Because Jake talked to Axe about it at the end of the 11th book. He was like, hey, so this whole thing happened and you don't remember it, but it was called like a Sario rip and this and this and this. And Axe is like, huh, okay. Well, I wasn't paying attention in class that day because it was it was a nice day and there was a pretty girl in class, so I wasn't paying attention. Yeah, shit, bro. I got a C on my time travel paper. <laughs> yeah, and That's I love does. that that came back again in this book, him just being like, I can't be expected to remember everything. I was an average student. <laughs> <laughs> See, do um, well in school, kids. You never know when it could save an entire future. Miles, you mentioned that one of the ridges on Jake's basketball brain is to use morphing powers to be a stuntman. And does that have something to do with, like, the regeneration thing? Because I was trying to figure out what exactly the rules were to the morphing regeneration. Because uh, with, with this world, like, there are some interesting hard rules to morphing so like if you morph out of an absolutely eviscerated body can you like wait it out for a bit as like a dog and then just regenerate your full human body is that it so it's a little bit more up in the air when it comes to their base form like their base human body because okay we're gonna go down a little bit of a lore hole here but whenever they morph their bodies go into z space so that, like, hyperspace realm that the Elemist was cruising around in for a while in the last book, their bodies are just floating there. Like, complete, their bodies are just out there. And then whenever they morph back, they retrieve their bodies from Z-space and turn back into them. That's why they can keep the morph suits, I guess. Because that's never really well explained, but it's a good way out of having just a bunch of 12 and 13-year-olds seeing each other naked all the time. Uh, but... Their bodies just float in Z-space? Their bodies are just floating in Z-space. It is an actual thing at one point um, that they talk about the ability to potentially regain consciousness in that body if they die in a morph, like they regain consciousness in Z-space and then die there, uh, mm -hmm. which is not great. Or sometimes ships will be going through Z-space and impact bodies of morphed uh, people. And yeah. then it will destroy them, and they will be stuck in the morph that they were in because their body is now destroyed and they can't return to it. I mean, that sucks, but I guess all things considered, like, you're stuck as, like, a, a bird or a dolphin uh, instead of being totally turned into jelly by a space freighter cruising through you at 20 million <laughs> miles an hour. Yeah, there's, 
there's a lot of there's a lot of weird shit that happens with the Escafil device, which is what the blue cube that gives morphing abilities is called. Yes, I remember that too. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, the good the, the good filterfish device. I had to say it. <laughs> um, but so there are hard rules, and the and the fact that they can demorph from these grievous injuries in their morphing forms and then go right back into it um, is just because they're constructing a new body based off of that DNA of the animal that they took. Um, in theory, also, their forms that they acquired are also in Z-space, and they're kind of, like, switching places with them, I think, but then they're reconstructed whenever they go back. There's a shitload of hand-waving. It's it's a kid's sci-fi book. We don't need to go into it too deep. I've already gone into it way too deep, I think. Okay, real quick. I want another sci-fi book about, like, you know, just aliens doing alien stuff, sort of like Elemist was, and then, like, at the end of it, they're like, oh, boy, that was a whole adventure and a half. And they're, like, flying in their ship and Z-Space out of it, and then a pile of different Earth animals just splatter on their windshield. And they're like, what the fuck? I mean, if any, book was, going some... to, if any book was going to do it, it would either be Elemist or Andalite Chronicles. Yeah. <laughs> um... And then Cassie or something is like, oh, I gotta go back to the zoo. I lost all my animals. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so there's a lot of... There's a lot of hand-waving that we're gonna do with that. Uh, but also surprisingly little. That's why I felt like there's really crunchy, like, hard rules to these things. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, I am looking through something right now because... Yes, there we go. Uh, I just remembered... I, I said earlier when before the call that I got the new Taz graphic novel today, and it reminded me that in the second one, the Animorphs crew appears. Uh, I don't. Oh know no, if, kidding! Yeah, cameo of Animorphs in the uh, Taz graphic novel. Interesting. Huh. Yep. Uh yeah. But nice. yeah, sorry, it just reminded me because I was like, oh yeah, my bookshelf. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. Um. But anyway, the Animorphs crew. They're they're in the thing. We're jumping in, and we are in Marco first. And he's having a he's having like a, a boring evening evening at home with his very sad father. And a a news report comes on the TV about a about an out of control nuclear submarine. Great, cool. Yeah, a nuclear sub was reported to have developed reactor problems, and it was feared sunk. Rescue ships and divers were on the scene, but the storm was making it hard for them. They couldn't find the sub, which could be dousing everyone on board with radiation. And I was reading this and just thinking, no fucking way would the Navy report that a, an active nuclear sub was damaged and out of contact and sunk off the coast about, of... About to have a nuclear meltdown about 20 miles off the coast of California, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, no way are they reporting that at this stage, if ever. There's yeah. no possible way. And if they um, did, they would never say it was nuclear. Like, they, we would not know. No. Yeah. Um, oh, that also reminded me. Before that, Jake des- or Marco describes everyone else in the group, and it gives a real good indication for what Marco thinks of everyone, especially Tobias. Uh. Mm-hmm says, we being Jake, who is our prematurely middle-aged, fearless, more or less leader. Cassie, our animal expert Damn. and tree-hugging <laughs> environmental wacko. Uh, Rachel, Jake's fabulously beautiful but totally insane cousin. Uh, Tobias, who's a mouse-eating bird. And the Cinnabon-chomping, Andalite scorpion boy we call Axe. 
And me, Marco, the sensitive, sensible, smart, and good-looking one. And also modest. And, or, also modest. And honest. And did I mention cute? Like, cool, yeah, uh, way to way to make us like you, Marco. Mm-hmm. You got any Doritos, Dad? Do you got any Doritos and Coca Cola? <laughs> but also, it's fun to it's fun to realize that Axe is the person he compliments the most in here, aside from himself, because he also goes on to describe frequently describe Axe's human morph as strangely beautiful, uh, because Axe acquired all f- uh, well all four of the human animorphs and made an amalgamation of their DNA to make his human morph. And it's pretty Sounds consi- like cheating. It's pretty consistently yeah. described as being an extremely attractive morph of undetermined gender. Like it is a beautiful uh it is a beautiful androgynous body. And Marco was originally intended to be bisexual, but Scholastic made them not make Marco bi. Uh, of course. So that's that's just a fun little fun little thing I noticed on this reread. Um, what is that confirmed? Like by Applegate intended yes. by Marco? Yes, oh. she wanted Marco to be bisexual, and the most that they could do was have him just constantly be talking about how attractive Axe's human morph was. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm sure they'd be way more forgiving with bisexual characters in current children's books. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what axe are you grinding? Is that a specific one you want to name drop? No, but I... But just in general, yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, he gets that news and he calls up everyone else and is like, Hey, uh, there's a nuclear sub. We should go out and do something about it. Which doesn't seem at all related to the Yerks, but okay. If I was on the other end of that phone call, I'd be like, Do you think us? Do you think that's really our, <laughs> yeah. our jurisdiction? Yeah. But but they do have a decent plan in that they turn into dolphins and find the sub and then direct a diver to it. Um, direct, drag, you know. Yeah. Extremely freaking out that diver, which is reasonable because if you are an experienced diver and a crew of six dolphins swim up to you and grab hold of you, you're gonna be scared. Because yeah. here's a fun thing you may not know, listeners. Dolphins are notorious rapists. Yeah, including it's... raping creatures and I don't think any cases of humans to death. Yeah. Also otters. And, and otters, the, and the, are, and the, otters are also the same way. And the depiction of like what it feels like to be a dolphin there was just like everything's fun. We're just like having a great time. Everything's awesome. And you feel so powerful and you can do whatever you want. You can get away with whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, whoa, dude, shit. Yeah. Uh-oh. Dolphins yeah. are assholes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like those smiles, yeah. Dolphins are just pure id, no control. Yeah, dolphins are fucked up. Uh, but then the nuclear sub explodes, and creates a hole in space and time called a Saria Rip, and they go back in time. But apparently, none of them realize it. Uh, and they wake up and they're like, "Huh, that's that's weird. This isn't where we're where we left. There's there's a volcano over there. Well, that's weird. We must be in like." I don't know, like South America or boy, Africa or boy, something. That, and that underwater nuclear explosion must have knocked us like a couple points of latitude or something. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And especially Jake, who has gone through a Sario rip before because of a beam struggle between two alien spaceships. But basketball brain. Um it takes and an then they they're like 
Yeah, Be- because there's some there's some whales. There's some whales off there. Oh, those are that's not whales. whales. No, they're they're probably whales. Whatever. And I love. Quick, y'all, let's morph back. Let's be humans treading water in this ocean and we don't know where we are for a second. Oh, what's that? And then the fucking dinosaur from Jurassic World that just ate the uh, social media intern just gobbles up half of them. Well, not not yet, because before that, there's some elasmosauruses oh, right. that show up. Uh, okay. It's oh, our yeah. it's our first dinosaur, and it's just yeah, coming up... Uh, yeah, like a gray-green giraffe on the end of the neck was a sculpted streamlined head about two feet long. And coming up right behind it was another tall neck and head. No way, Tobias whispered. What is that, the Loch Ness Monster? Marco cried. It's Fisher 3 and Morph, Jake said. No way, it can't be, there's two of them. No way, Tobias. <laughs> They're coming after us. As I said, X said smugly, not whales. Fucking, Tobias is the only one who apparently recognizes any kind of plesiosaur. Yeah, like... And, oh, and why, Miles, does Tobias know the names of all the dinosaurs? <sighs> Tobias. Tobias knows the names of all the dinosaurs because when he was living with his abusive alcoholic uncle, he would sit on the floor in his room and play silently with his dinosaur figures so that as he wouldn't... As silently as possible. Because because if he made noise, his uncle would come in and yell at him and implied beat him. And can I just say, hyperfixations caused by trauma... That's, that's more common than you might think. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But, but I gotta be honest, out of these five humans, only one of them being a dinosaur kid is extremely suspicious. I don't believe yeah. that only one out of five kids at this point would have been a dinosaur kid, because I did the math. They would have mm-hmm. been like nine or ten when Jurassic Park came out, which would have been huge for a nine or ten, nine or ten year old, mm-hmm. and they would have been like three or four when Land Before Time came out. So they were the target audience of Land Before Time. Mm-hmm. So how is only one of the five of them, presumably the one who wouldn't have had access to those as as easily? How how is that one the dinosaur one? I don't buy it. See, I thought I was a dinosaur kid, but you two have proven me wrong tonight because you know way more names. We are a sliding scale of dinosaur. I think we are. I yeah, we're a sliding yeah. scale of dinosaur kid. With Dan being the most, and I guess you being the least. <laughs> well, I think it's different drop-off rates, different um, recidivism rates for dinosaur kids. Before, like, how much you can learn before you realize that being a paleontologist does not mean you get to do Jurassic Park. It means you have to study uh, rocks. I was still very on board with the idea of digging in the dirt and digging up bones. Same. (laughs) I liked rocks well enough. I would frequently, like, if I was at a place with a sandbox, I would bury my dinosaur figurines and dig them up. Oh, hell, y'all ever get those things where they put, like, plastic uh, dinosaur bones in, like, a block of concrete and you're supposed to, like, chisel at it with a spoon? Yeah, those are fun. I love those. I didn't, but I am also now remembering dinosaur egg oatmeal, which was the coolest shit, and my first (laughs) science experiment. I remember doing that as a science experiment, putting the eggs in boiling water to see... uh, because I was being babysat by my cousin, I was like, "Why does it do that? Why? Why do the things melt?" She's like, "Okay, well, let's put it put some in boiling water and then put some in oatmeal and see how those two things affect it." And the oatmeal obviously didn't, and it started to eat away at it with the uh, with the boiling water. So I learned a little bit about how stuff dissolves, and that was cool as shit. And I don't know if I've ever thanked my cousin for 
doing an impromptu science experiment with me when I think my parents had taken, yeah, my parents had taken my two older brothers to go see Pokemon the first movie and I was home sad not getting to see it. And my parents well, were there the sad worst, having the to deal with it. My parents were <laughs> sad sitting so there bad, having dude. to watch it. <laughs> I feel oh. bad for my parents having to watch it. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> hey, it's fine. That was a good night for me. And my okay. brothers came home and they gave me one of the promo Pokemon cards. It was the Pikachu with the little like blue lightning bolt behind it. It was awesome. Oh, good. So it all was well then. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I wasn't a. I probably mentioned this before. I wasn't. A, we weren't allowed to watch TV or play video games during the weekdays, and so we had books, and we had a massive dinosaur encyclopedia. We had a lot of animal encyclopedias. Now I think about it, and my brother Nick and I would sit there and we would make up dinosaur habitats because this was around the time we discovered Zoo Tycoon. And like any normal kid, we would go through and design dinosaur habitats, but they had to be from the same time period. We, we, yeah, and in the right environment. Yeah. Um, we also collected rocks that were egg-shaped and thought might be dinosaur eggs and kept them in the hopes that we could revive them someday. Nice. They were just rocks. <laughs> I, I mean, to be fair, so were dinosaur bones. <laughs> oh my god. It's, it's not about dinosaurs, but actually the eggs that you keep thing reminds me of when I was maybe 12 or something and I had just read Aragon, mm -hmm. so, which has like a whole arc about like tending to a dragon egg and then uh my grandmother like always just bought like decorative glass things uh one of which was largely eggs so i for a time was just carrying around a glass decorative egg feeling like and then it's going to be a dragon and we're going to be friends <laughs> i feel that on a deep spiritual level <laughs> aragon uh, got me fucked up as a kid oh real quick before we continue favorite dinosaur if you can't pick a favorite, you can do top three because I'm having trouble okay. picking picking a favorite too. I'm gonna just go with my gut and say Ankylosaurus right away. That's a Pretty real great. good one, and it's in my top three. <laughs> I mean, child me was all about Triceratops, but adult me, yes, I have an adult favorite dinosaur. Don't uh, Microraptor because feathered dinosaurs are my favorite. They're so Those good. are some cool ones. Um, mm -hmm. My top three because I can't pick a favorite. Any kind of plesiosaur, realistically, but I guess technically the traditional plesiosaurus, uh, ankylosaurus, and parasaurolophus. I really like a good, a nice what's good a, parasaurolophus. What's a parasaurolophus? Parasaurolophus is, is the one with the big, like, hook head. Uh, oh. In my house, we called them hooktedosauruses before I could pronounce parasaurolophus. <laughs> That's adorable. Post a picture of one in chat. I'm trying to imagine it, but I'm seeing, like, an iguanodon with the crest, but mm. I'm not sure what hookhead is about. They have a, they have a long hollow crest. That okay, that's exactly that what guy. I was thinking of. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's a, yeah. that one's got the best vibes of all dinosaurs. I think that is the best vibes. Ooh. Yeah, you know what's another favorite of mine? It's a much newer one. Um, Ambopteryx. Hold on, here it is because it looks like a freaking. It looks like a dragon. Ooh. It has. It's a feathered dinosaur with membrane wings. That is. There's nothing else like that. It's a that's, little, it's a little dragon. That's really cool. Yep. So if we're gonna bring back any dinosaur, it's gonna be that one. Nice. Um, <laughs> so this book is set in the late Cretaceous, and there's many dinosaurs that do show up, including one that shows up right after the Elasmosaurus, the Chronosaurus, uh, that shows up and just swallows Tobias and Rachel. Um, 
And here's the thing. While I was reading this, I was keeping track of whether or not certain dinosaurs were in the right period or not. And for the most part, they did a good job in this book. Some of them, not great, but there's a little bit of hand-waving that involves in some things. Like, Spinosaurus's show up, and they were thought to have died out about 30 million years before this took place. But still in, like, the early Cretaceous, so eh. Um, yeah, and they and they touch on that in like the outro the of the book. Yeah, they did. Chronosaurus died about like the they were just like okay, so Spinosaurus like we don't know they were around at this time, but like who who fucking knows? You know, we're just like speculating by carbon dating the you know calcium deposits left behind by like cavities in rock by bones. Yeah, Tobias says at the end of the book, you know, I looked them up and it said that some of these were supposed to have died off by the time we got there. Uh, including the Spinosaurus, but who are you going to believe? A scientist digging in the dirt, or me, who nearly got eaten by one? Like, <laughs> you motherfuckers, I know when you were getting, like, proofreading done on this, like, your editor said something like, uh, these, these weren't around at that point, these, these weren't there, <laughs> and you, you added, rather than change things around, you just added a little note at the end, like, Oh, hmm. well, you know, we're not... Because even outside... <laughs> because even outside of the internal logic of it, it's just like... We're all, like, yeah. just watching the echoes of echoes of maybe one in every, like, 900,000 of these things that died. One of them got smushed in the rocks good enough to be able to form fossils out of the bones. So how to, like... It's pretty hazy work. Paleontology is a fantastic field, and I'm sure they're, like, doing all of the logical computations they need to to decide, like, what is most or least probable or whatever. But, like, like you don't know. Like, where's your fucking time machine that you went and go and did your measurements directly, motherfucker? Yeah, it, <laughs> I will say... Giving, oh, sorry. No, no, you're good. Because it's, it's just that that note has a ring of Chen Ham and other creationists going, but were you there? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just... It's just yeah. But where are you there? Exactly. Sorry, he's Australian. I don't do very well, but that's always his refrain. He's like, well, just <laughs> raise your hand in class and say, were you there? And then you can, yeah, catch all. Yeah. So, so I... thanks, Tobias. Brief editor's note. I did want to find a clip of Ken Ham saying, where you there? But after searching around for a couple videos on YouTube, I realized uh, I'm not finding it. And also I'm annihilating my algorithm. They're going to start wrecking me all kinds of crap about creationist science. So... You'll just have to hold that in your imagination. Where you there? It is a it is infuriating, but is also a very tidy way to address and dismiss the issue. So I appreciate the efficiency of it at the very least. It's it's a very efficient little postscript. <laughs> I want a uh I want a I want a secondary, a PSS, a post postscript, where it is just Applegate uh speaking to the reader that's just like Come on, dudes, it's a fucking book. Like, cool it. <laughs> Get but off my ass. I at least researched enough to know that they were from the Cretaceous period. Yep. Yeah. So, do, do they get eight or not by this Kronosaurus smile? Uh, uh, yes. they, they appear to get eight. Uh, and the other four, Jake, Marco, Axe, and Cassie, make their way to the shore, where they, you know, wander around for a little bit, still thinking that they must be in South America or Africa. Those are literally what they think they th that's where they think they are because apparently they don't recognize that this could be a fucking dinosaur mm -hmm. also apparently their their grade school up until this point has never gone to a natural history museum 
somehow. Oh, wait. Oh, the Natural History Museum, like any sort of illustrations or skeletons they might have in the History Museum is going to communicate, like, the blurry, adrenaline-pumped-up, like, psychotic image of we gotta get out of the fucking water, there's a beast here. They don't have time, necessarily, to fucking observe, well, that's not like any whale I've ever heard of. Okay, I'll give but... them the credit for, like, not knowing that that was a dinosaur right away because they were trying to not drown or get eaten. Okay, but it takes them, like, credit eight hours. They... It does. and to the... But to their credit, these are kids who've dealt with aliens before. Like, that very well could have been their first thought was, you know, it's Visceral 3 and Morph is not that out of the ordinary of, yeah, this is some other alien species the Yurks have brought to our planet. But as but one no, of Visser them points out, the main there's more than also one. can morph. If yes. there's more than one, it can't possibly be Visser 3. I'm not saying it was it, but I mean, like, they probably <laughs> would have thought aliens before dinosaurs at this point. Yeah, it's yeah. fucking... There's Even a Stranger Things argument to, to that. There's an argument for Stranger Things, where it's just like... Even if it wasn't Visser 3, like, what if there's just sea monsters? It's like yeah. in any, uh, in any like, vampire fiction, when somebody finds out vampires are real, they're just like, okay, are werewolves real too? And they're like, no. And we're like, are, okay, fuck you, are mummies real? And they're like, <laughs> yeah... Yeah. I mean, what about what about Swamp Thing? And they're like, okay, well, there's only four of them though. <laughs> I, I will say, Miles, I do see your point that it did seem to take an embarrassingly long time for them to for it to click. But yeah. you know, I've never been thrown through a Sario rip. I don't know what it's like. Same as far as did I they can experience remember. what it was like going? Did they experience <laughs> what it was like going through the Sario rip the first time? Do you like feel that you're like in hyper? Like that you're outside of the time stream for a second? Is that they did not, and I'm assuming it's specifically so that they could have that like, oh my god, we're in dinosaur times thing. Yeah. They didn't see the world go and rewind. Yeah. Back to the ice age and back. They didn't experience continental undrift. Uh but Yeah. But then they get to the beach and they're like, oh, there's there's a bunch of like big footprints and a big area of like cleared trees with a bunch of stuff missing, like a bunch of leaves missing from the top branches. Let's not go that way. But let's go into the let's go into the forest, but not that way. Like, I can kind of understand that, but realistically, like, stay out of the trees you can see more when you're on the beach, and if you think that maybe Rachel and Tobias will survive, which you probably don't, but if you did, stick to the beach. You could see them turn up, maybe. Mm-hmm. But even if you're going to go into the woods, go through the place marked by the giant, presumably, herbivore. Uh, that, that's a strong presumably. But it's clear that it's been eating leaves. Mm-hmm. It's uh, So they think their f- friends are dead. Yeah. Where's Rachel and Tobias? Rachel and Tobias are in the Elas- or in the Chronosaurus's stomach and beginning to be digested, uh, including bumping up against a lot of rocks, which is fun, um, because yeah, need rocks to help grind away the stuff because their stomach acid wasn't as strong. That's a nice little touch, yeah. and is That's extremely really nice. common for a lot of large creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I know Tyrannosaurs do that, but this is a water guy. He found rocks in the water to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's uh, plenty. I just of don't rocks. often think of there being rocks in the ocean. I think it's just um, sand. Crocodiles, crocodiles use gastroliths a lot. So probably gastroliths. Yes, stomach, stomach rocks. rocks. Yeah. That's a good. That's a good band name. It, it, mm-hmm. The gastroliths. Yeah. Gastroliths. Fun oh. fact: some gastroliths also have fossils in them. That's fucking that's, dope. That's yeah, cuckoo be, bananas. Because the dinosaurs and everything else were eating 
rocks that had eroded off formations that were old in their time. So you so find a fucking, yeah. you could get so a cool. Jurassic fossil inside a Cretaceous fossil. Yes. That's so that's, fucking cool. Oh my god. That's imagine bananas. Imagine being in the shoes of the paleontologist that discovered the first one of those. Yeah. Like that or 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 the first or like what the only one. What are the fucking odds of that? <laughs> that is so infin- infinitesimally unlikely. <laughs> oh, that's just got me so excited. God damn. Um, I'd be fucking just totally blindsided if that happened more than once. Uh, but Tobias is getting his wings broken because he's bumping up against some gastroliths. Oh, because he's a bird getting crushed by rocks inside the stomach of a dinosaur. Yes, as we all know, rock is super effective against flying. Uh, but Rachel (laughs) turns into a grizzly bear and just tears this thing from the inside out, ripping into its lungs because they need to breathe air. And where is their air? In this thing's lungs. And that's a fucking cool plan. It's it's only gonna work once, and for a little bit, but it's a good, interesting plan, and I dig it. Um, fucking talk about Grizzly, though. Yeah. Yep, I was, sure is. I wasn't sure if that would work, because, like, technically your lungs aren't just big bags, they're porous air sponges but sure there's yeah, some i mean it. Wait, i mean d- if you rupture a lot it's it's what the the hyphae are the little like branches that do a, most of the oxygen uh absorption i thought those were brachia oh yeah yeah those are brachia i don't remember what hyphae are now um but i mean realistically your lungs do still fill up a decent bit with that air a bit and okay. While it while they do absorb oxygen, at least um, human lungs do take oxygen from the air you breathe in, but they don't take much of the oxygen from the air you breathe in, because we're breathing in air that is twenty one percent oxygen, roughly. Yeah, like twenty one percent oxygen, I think. And when we breathe out, our breath is still about oh, like fourteen percent oxygen. So we're mm. that's why in theory your breath can be used to partially sustain another person but shouldn't be done for long periods of time and is usually just bad anyway uh which is why we don't do mouth-to-mouth and cpr anymore anyway wait i'm sorry don't we oh god no no not for many years oh shit fuck yeah all the people i've been doing cpr to for the last such and such years there there are there are some rescue breathing there is rescue breathing that is done but there's like multiple different kinds. There's chest compressions now, which is its own thing. That's if there's a blocked airway. You wouldn't do rescue breaths with all CPR. Not all CPR involves rescue breathing, but all of it does involve chest compressions. Oh, because most CPR and, is about the heart, not the lungs anyway. Yeah, or clearing the airway in some cases. Uh, but you definitely, I mean, sorry, you do do rescue breaths for CPR. You don't do rescue breaths for chest compressions. You never do mouth to mouth. If you are in a situation where you have to do mouth to mouth, you are in the wrong situation, uh, because this chances are pretty the good they're just going to throw up in your mouth. Section of the podcast. Yeah. Oh fuck. Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh so that's so, why your so, good mask has like a, a filter in it that won't allow anything to come back up. Uh huh. Yeah, it's got a one way valve. Speaking of things coming back up, looks like this Kronosaur has had a bit of a spicy meal as a grizzly bear tears into your lungs and then out of the rest of your chest cavity or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, good segue. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> really, was it? <laughs> I mean, it was a better segue than we were doing, which was none. 
Um, oh, yeah, and they get back on shore, and they... Uh, Rachel demorphs, and she tells Tobias to morph into a human, because if he morphs back to bird, then his wing will be healed. And I'm still not sure of the mechanics on that, but I think that is sound, realistically. Um, but he tries, and he does morph human, uh, and I'm pretty sure Tobias would be naked there, because he became a Nothlet before <gasps> they figured out morph suits, but they just kind of skirted over that. Um, yeah. but then he morphs back to bor- morph... He morphs back to bird. <laughs> he he her, he morphs he, back, he to board. back to bird. Bird <laughs> Yes, uh, and his wing is still broken, so Rachel has to set it, which is fun times, fun couple bonding, setting your broken hollow bone. Um, and I'd be worried about setting a bone like with a uh, with like a splint or whatever as is, let alone a hollow bird bone that I imagine I would look at wrong and it would collapse like a straw. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but so they go off in search of the rest of the crew who at this point are, uh, doing really horrible wilderness survival. Jake walks up to a stream. It's like, well, I wonder if it's safe to drink and then just goes ahead and drinks it two seconds later. Like it might not be safe to drink. (laughs) Okay, Jake. Yeah. They turns out this water was fine. This water was fine, except, except frequently there are Spinosauruses in the water in this book. <laughs> um, it happens. They, they predicted yeah. the aquatic Spinosaurus before paleontologists. Oh, shit, they did. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot we didn't think that. I forgot that we didn't think that Spinosauruses were aquatic at this point. Oh, that's fucking crazy. That's right. Like because... the idea that Kay Applegate took a shot in the dark and was just like, okay, Spinosauruses, but what if they were amphibious yes. and just fucking calls it that's fucking crazy because have feathers because that's right because this was a couple years before jurassic park 3 which featured a spinosaurus and that was that was terrestrial only that was uh that was well terrestrial is a weird word to use for that but it it was not aquatic in any way shape or form Ooh, good called shot i guess fuck yeah i guess they saw the visual similarity to crocodiles and were just like yeah, of course it makes sense. And and they were right. And a spine Fuck. like that that's a fucking fin, like a fin like a fish. What are you talking about? That guy's in the water. I mean, to be fair, the the Demetrodon also had a pretty pronounced fin and short stubby limbs and it was not aquatic. Uh and arguably the first mammal. Uh it was very closely tied to early mammals and was more closely related to mammals than other dinosaurs. God, I don't want to get too far afield from the Animorphs book, yeah, but like, that's so curious. Yeah, it's because the fin was used to regulate its body temperature, showing that it was uh, most likely warm-blooded. Mm-hmm. It, but that was a very early dinosaur, too, before they'd, like, I guess, decided on cold-blooded reptilian anatomy. And they're just like, the, I guess that evolution was just like, what if we tried warm-blooded <laughs> for yeah. dinosaurs for a bit? And they were like, that's nah, not going to work. Okay. Yeah, well. Yeah. Uh, oh, wait. is. Dimetrodon. Oh, Dimet- yeah, Dimetrodon. Uh, yeah, they are synapse. Yeah. Yeah, because they've got a they've got a spinal cord. Yes. A Dimetrodon is just a manlit Spinosaurus. <laughs> it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. It was also one of my favorites as a kid. Um, Same. I took great pride as a smi- as a child knowing that they were not technically dinosaurs, but mammal-like reptiles. Synapse. I did not know that for a very long time, and I was blown away when I found out. 
Oh yeah, I I had to know that. Once the once once my brother got a hold of the the encyclopedia, we all had to know our facts because he would ask us, and we would have to keep up with the conversation, or sit at the kitty table. Yeah. Ain't that just the way? <laughs> um. So they frequently we talked a little bit. I don't remember if it was before the episode or during the episode about how this book sucks T Rex's dick a lot, and. A lot. And it does so in large part because this this book took place and was written only a couple years after Jurassic Park came out, which got everyone horny for dinosaurs. And uh, it was before the allegations came out against Tyrannosaurus that it was actually just a pissy scavenger and not an apex predator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which probably was. Yeah. Uh, but they describe it as the most ruthless, powerful, relentless predator in Earth's history. And I'm I'm not going to debate on powerful because I mean powerful relative to what? Are are we talking about muscle mass relative to size because I don't know this, but relentless relentless and ruthless predator. To me that is pursuit predators, mm-hmm. which the most relentless and ruthless pursuit predator on Earth is the human being. Yep. Damn. T-Rex will not track you and your herd for days or weeks. No. They'll lose interest. Yeah. Early early hominid hunting was not chase after it. It was power walk behind it until it gets (laughs) tired. (laughs) Yep. And that's just fucking cool. But, oh man. I I love that, like, that real history of, like, early human hunting that's just, like, you didn't really have to chase it that hard. You just had to follow it for long enough and it would fall asleep and you just get them. Because evolutionarily, humans did a stamina only build. So. We did. Yeah, we, we really did. Sprinting cost a lot of energy. Uh, but while this is happening, they're getting chased by a T Rex and realizing that they got sent backwards in time. Um,. And they're dealing huh. with some shit, and they're leaning heavily on Axe's knowledge of things. And he's talking about Sario rips a little bit, and how he didn't pay attention that day in class. Uh, and Axe says two things that I want to zero in on here for a second. They're tiny, but he says two things. One, he he talks about how humans will often have dry humor, and he says... I have not heard any wet humor, so it is difficult for me to tell the difference. <laughs> what the fuck no, is wet humor? Fish out, that's some classic fish out of water alien shit. Yeah. Be like, I've not seen this wet humor. It, it It is very good fish out of water stuff, but the the phrase wet humor is both... Ex- it's both very exciting and deeply troubling. <laughs> uh, but he also talks about how... Oh, no. Marco says, what, you can't just whip up a fusion bomb? Fusion bomb? I asked. Then I left. I knew I shouldn't, but you have to admit, it was funny. A fusion explosive? That's what it was? I assumed it was a small proton shift weapon, at least. Fusion is only used in children's toys, you know, to make the little dolls speak and so on. Like, fucking... Fucking... (laughs) The Andalites are so up their own asses about how technologically superior they are, and they are absolutely... Axe talks at one point about how weird it is that human beings invented the wheel before space flight because the Andalites did it the other way. 
and that's, that's the dumb. They're, they're, that's dumb. <laughs> there's sorry. a lot of one thing before another, like because you can you can look at Star Trek and be like, oh, they've got advanced space travel, but compared to 21st century, uh, our lifestyles like very primitive telecommunications tools. So you can be a little bit like, oh, one field of technology before another, but a fucking wheel, dude, it's round. You ain't discovered the shape round before you <laughs> went into outer space. Yeah. It. Oh, speaking of speaking, I'm sorry. Uh, speaking of shit that Axe says, we totally forgot about Axe. Asking why America has nuclear submarines. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that's right. There was this, it was this most incredible thing where Axe is just like, oh, you guys have like, America, the American military has nuclear submarines and they're just like going around being nuclear. And they're like, yeah. And Axe is like, well, why? And they're like, well, and they were like, well, well shit, it's like the 90s. Like, I guess we're not at war with another global superpower, but like, we might be someday. So we're keeping them all going around with nuclear shit that can explode into it. And, there was just like a lot of shade to be cast about just like hmm these fucking humans and this fucking america with their they're just keeping their uh their insane war machines around just in anticipation that some someone's going to come along to fuck with them which yeah. is wild because the andalites and a little bit the yurks too are extremely analogous to america because they go around and treat everyone else the andalites go around and treat everyone else like shit while continuing to create these situations wherein everyone else is suffering because of them. They're the ones who armed the Yerks, and now they're at war with the Yerks, and talking about how evil the Yerks are. They're this way because you made them this way. You gave them that By the technology. way, this podcast is dedicated to the brave Mahadinejad fighters in Afghanistan. Uh, they, they also oh, dropped it. a chemical weapon on the uh hork bajir rather than let the yurks continue to take them and if that's not an american sensibility i don't know what is uh yeah but anyway yeah uh that's that's some shit i had forgotten about that because i read that uh when we started reading this book after recording the last episode and that was a month ago so i forgot about that yeah <laughs> um, so the team is Oh, also, so the team is split up. Nuclear or, yeah, nuclear weapons aren't powered by fusion. We don't have fusion explosives. We don't have. <laughs> they don't even have fusion. It's fission. they're doing nuclear fission. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> and we're worried the Yerks are going to take over humanity, as though that's a big problem. <laughs> fucking what? Are, what are like, they going to do? Why so, do they uh, want us? Yeah. So they what, get what in. The Yerks they, want humanity for. They do get into that in the in the Andalite Chronicles. Why humanity is such a huge target for the Yerks. Uh, oh, please don't tell me it's because they have infinite potential. No, no, it's not. It's because we reproduce quickly. We are a plentiful uh, planet. We can survive in a lot of different situations. And we are relatively well, like, constructed physically, aside from our lower backs. That's but, interesting. But, like, it's it's essentially the perfect slave race because... We are able to reproduce so quickly and last and be so uh, universally applicable. It's 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 pretty interesting, honestly. I like the way they thought about it and why they decided, like, yeah, okay, it's worth. This is why the Yerks are coming here in such force. Cause it's neat. Uh, but anyway, they go to sleep and do all of that and Axe is talking about how oh I'm not really sure what time it is because oh the earth is rotating differently and my internal clock needs time to readjust to this earth's rotational speed which bugs the shit out of me 
for one very specific reason. When they're talking about the time limit of morphs, it is not two local hours. He says the time limit is roughly two of your Earth hours. The length, the number of minutes present in an hour does not change the number of minutes you can remain in morph. Just because... So it doesn't change the length of an hour when Earth is rotating differently. It, Unless, of course, you want to factor in the idea of, okay, well, we'll still divide up a sidereal or rotational day into 24 segments. Which you might do, but still, like... Their morph time limit has not changed because the Earth is rotating faster back then. Their morph time limit hasn't changed. So why are they acting like it has? It's like, you have 120 minutes to do this in. You still have 120 minutes to do this in, but now that extends a little bit past two hours. If an hour is yeah, because one twenty-fourth of a day. Because the morphing technology isn't beholden to where the sun is. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a point of frustration, but it led me into an interesting topic of research, which was how much the earth has been slowing down because we've heard here and there about how the earth's rotation has been slowing down for centuries, realistically, since the earth was formed. Um, and there's a rough estimate of how much a day shortens and it is, oh, let me check on this. I can't remember if it's 2.3 or 23 milliseconds per century. Uh, it is 2.3 milliseconds per century increase in, uh, in days. So a day gets, or yeah, a day is increased in time by 2.3 milliseconds every century, which seems like not much. Mm-hmm. But if you go but over back, a couple hundred million years, it adds up. Yeah, over sixty-five million years, I did the math, and a day, a day at this point, where they are. I'm going with sidereal day because that is a full, three hundred and sixty degree rotation relative to the Earth's axis. That is, that is that is a day. But, so, a sidereal day in the late Cretaceous, would have been roughly 23 hours and 31 minutes, if we assume that 2.3 uh, milliseconds per century is consistent. Which there's evidence to suggest that it has actually been altered slightly. In fact, this year, the Earth's ro- or in the last um, couple years, the Earth's rotation has been speeding up, rather than slowing down. Uh, and it's the 5G. Most well, actually, most climatologists do think that it has to do with human interaction and interference with the planet. Um, of course. Yeah, 5G. Yeah. yeah. Uh, human-spurred climate change. But, yeah, uh, so assuming it's constant, a sidereal day would be 23 hours and 31 minutes, roughly, at this point. Okay. So, yeah, you know, each hour is, like... A, a minute and change shorter if we still divide it up into 24 segments still pointless uh, still so a Axe's pointless weird brain can so Axe's weird brain is just picking up like hold on the day's a minute short right now something's up yeah it well the day's uh 
25 minutes short. But Oh. Yeah, the day is 25 minutes short. The hour is a minute short. <clears throat> but uh, there's just... There's a lot that goes on. There's a lot of dinosaurs they run into. Do we want to do a list of all of the dinosaurs they run into? Because I do have that list. Without, like, visual representations in the medium of podcast, I don't know. Is it just going to be a bunch of names? I mean, probably. How, wait, how many? Like, go for it. <laughs> so we've talked about Elasmosaurus and Chronosaurus. Uh, <laughs> they did also run into some kind of sauropod, which, through a little bit of research, only the Ultrasaurus... Uh, species or only the ultrasaurus genus was active at the time and then later on tobias reveals that it is a saltosaurus which interestingly enough is the only ultrasaurus species to have bony armor plating which is nice um some kind of spinosaurid likely a spinosaurus even though they had been extinct for 30 million years at that point tyrannosaurus rex hadrosaurs triceratops dinonychus um here's the thing though dinonychus I know they wanted to ride on that Jurassic Park thing and have raptors, and then someone was like, well, velociraptors were actually kind of tiny. Like, okay, well, then what's the big thing? Oh, that was a Deinonychus. Okay, cool. What's the nearest thing to a velociraptor we can have in this time period? Let's go with that. Well, the problem is, Deinonychus was extinct for 40 million years at that point, but velociraptors were actually still going strong. They were just much smaller than Deinonychus, so I can't. Like, um, what, three feet, four feet high, and six feet long at best. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, there were pteranodons, which isn't technically a dinosaur, but still. Um, there were iguanodons. There were iguanodons, mm-hmm. which were a late Jurassic to early Cretaceous species, so swing and a miss there. And then there was some kind of small theropod. They didn't say explicitly what kind of small theropod it was, but looking through theropods that were active in the late uh, Cretaceous, and given the size that they described, it was likely a Borogovia, okay. which is roughly the right size. Uh, and that's all the dinos that were in this book. Um, but fucking Axe, Tobias, or Axe, Cassie, Marco, and Jake have managed to take down a T Rex. And Jake, Marco, and Cassie are like, oh, hell yeah, you can take down a T-Rex. Axe, this is great. We're, we're totally safe. And Axe is like, no, you don't fucking understand. I, I barely got this because it didn't see me coming, and I got lucky. One-on-one, I would lose to this thing 99 times out of 100. We cannot rely on me for this. And so they say, fuck it, and cut up some of its meat, and make sandals out of its hide and tendons which was so fucking gross and also like clearly there wasn't time to tan it or treat it or likely any way to clean it so they were just they were just they were gooshing around on on those on those flip-flops yeah i thought about that i was like wait they're walking around on still wet like still pliable uh, tyrannosaur flesh and the tendons, the sinews have to be dried. You can't just use floppy legs in you as no. Yeah. With cut up raw feet. Yeah. Ouch. Putting that dino blood directly into your veins. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Got a fucking hepatitis Rex. (laughs) But the fact that Cassie just immediately is like, yep. 
<laughs> we're dinosaur scavenging now. Yeah, which really seems to go against the rest of Cassie's characterization in this book. Mm-hmm. Like, she is prepared to use all of the buffalo, but also if she were in a position to have to use the buffalo, she would cry about it constantly. Yeah. Because at like, one point, she later in the book, she morphs into a T-Rex and loses control over it mm-hmm. and kills a Triceratops and then, like, sobs and cries and is furious with herself for having killed another living thing. It's like, no, you right. lost control in the brain of a predator and mm-hmm. and it was a predator-prey interaction. How is this morally objectionable to you? Rachel even says it did what a T-Rex does. Like, that's, that's how the morph you're in works. Yeah. Like, maybe it's because, okay, because the Triceratops was a plant eater and the T-Rex was trying to eat them. It was different. I don't... <sighs> I'm, I understand I your guys' point, and I'm still with Cassie. That's just like it was just like that's what T Rex does, and it's like yeah, but I didn't fucking want to. God damn it! Yeah. I hate this goddamn reptile yeah. brain I have to live in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my problem is she wasn't complaining at that point. I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but she wasn't complaining about the lack of autonomy, which is totally understandable. Mm-hmm. She was complaining about having killed that Triceratops, and I, 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 I don't think that is as big a deal as. I mean, okay, that it's a big deal to her as a character, but to me reading it, it's just like, okay, yeah, whatever. How is this how is this the hill you want to die on? It's also the fifth most traumatizing thing you've done today. Yeah, she fucking routinely rips out throats in her wolf morph intentionally. How is mm. this how is this wrong to her? And so what's throats are those? Because they're like, if, if you're fighting the Yerks, what are they, like Hork-Bajir? What are they, like Taxons? Hork-Bajir, Taxons, and sometimes humans. And human controllers, yeah. I will say this for Cassie. We're going to get into a little bit of a Cassie versus Marco debate later on. But I will say this for Cassie. She is the only one, realistically, or she is the longest holdout for recognizing the controllers they fight as being more than just the yurks that are inside their brains. She mm-hmm. understands the human cost of killing these controllers. Because for and the listeners, is... if you're not familiar with this, the yurks control the minds of uh, the humans they go into, but the humans are still, like, fully cognizant and, like, uh, are just being absolutely puppeteered and can, like, feel and see everything that's happening and have no control over it. Um and I remember in the Yerk pools where the Yerks have to go get their nutrition outside of the human brain, like, they'll restrain a lot of the uh, humans who are just, like, finally back in control of their bodies for, like, a brief second and are, like, thrashing and freaking around and, you know, get thrown into alien jail until they are forced to be mind-controlled again. Yeah. So that's fucked. There's yeah. also willing controllers, people who choose to be controllers. And... Bootlickers. I mean, there's some there's some interesting there's some interesting people they get into with willing controllers. Uh, yeah, because some people are like, uh, uh, what should, what should we call it? Chapman, Dis, uh, dissenting yeah. yerks, who oh. are, like form like a more symbiotic like non dominance based relationship with their hosts. That does happen. Also, their the animorph school vice principal Chapman uh, is a willing controller, as is his wife. With the agreement made with their uh, host, your or with their uh, with their yurks, that 
the Yerks won't turn their daughter into a controller. Which they're obviously going to lie about, but... Mm-hmm. like, So you got weird bargaining with the invaders. You got Quizlings popping up. Yeah. Uh, but either way, some time passes and fucking Rachel and Tobias start to get tracked by a pack of Danonicuses. And Tobias can't fly because his wing's broken, so he has Rachel throw him into a tree. <laughs> and he grabs... You have to toss me. Don't <laughs> tell the elf. She ha- he has her throw him into a tree, which she fails the first time. So she has to do it again. And it's just funny to picture. Just a girl throwing a, throwing a red-tailed hawk. Hurry, the fucking dinosaurs are coming. Throw me. <laughs> yeah, and so he falls down and he grips onto one of the Denonicuses and acquires it and turns into it and has, like, a a struggle for dominance over the pack with it as the rest of the pack is attacking Rachel. Um, and he actually loses himself in the morph a bit, which happens frequently, um, especially with uh, mindless animals like ants and termites. If you got a... If you got if you've got like a sensitive like state of mind, do not read the ant or termite books of animorphs. Do not read the books where they morph ants or termites because it is bad. It is rough. It's the roughest shit uh, or some of the roughest shit. Um, it's not technically the roughest shit because there's there's quite a lot of other rough shit. Um, but uh, but it also happens frequently with predators. Because that instinct to hunt is just very strong. Um, And Tobias loses himself in the Denonicus brain. And Rachel has to bring him out. And Rachel consistently is like Tobias's tether to his humanity. And she fails to bring him back by reminding him like, hey, you're Tobias, you're a human, you're my friend. Instead, the thing that works is her saying, you are a hawk. You are a red-tailed hawk. Remember your wings. Remember flying. Remember flying high on the thermals. Which oh, Kay Applegate thermals. is so Can't fucking horny for thermals. thermals. <laughs> she found out one time about like that's like she's like, what is it like to be a bird? And they said, well, you're very attuned to like the heat rising up off of the ground. And she's like, I, that's everywhere now. Yeah. <laughs> the way they the way she describes flying is so just absolutely intoxicating in every book, though. Um, mm-hmm. But. But yeah, she reaches out to she re- she recognizes that he in his heart is not human anymore, which is huge. It's a huge character moment to put in this side book that doesn't matter. And realistically, I think that character progress is a little bit reversed in the next couple of books. But like, that's big. That's real big. She's his tether to humanity and she's understanding that he is not human and he might not ever be because she is like. From the minute he gets his morphing powers back, she consistently pressures him to morph human again, become a human Nothlet, and just, just, you know, you're not an Animorph anymore, but you're human. And, like, the implication is, and we can be together. And her accepting that he is a bird in this moment is huge. And... So you said which books in the series this Megamorphs 2 sort of falls in between... Is it canon? Does it actually keep up? Do they remember? Oh yeah, shit, that one time we did dinosaurs. So, I don't believe they ever reference Megamorphs 2 again. But, um, yeah, the the Megamorphs books are canon. 
but they are not referenced. Um, and I think that's a large... So, when they time-traveled before, they also lost their ability to morph into these creatures, which happens again at the end of this book. And I think the reason they created even the Sario rip in book 11, I think it's because they knew they wanted to send them back to dinosaur times, and they wanted to introduce that in the series proper before introducing it in this book. So it's them calling back to an existing thing instead of people just being like, oh, well, they're just making this up for this side book. Even though it's like, right. they're making this up for all of the books. It's all made. <laughs> it's all made. Uh, you know what, I'm, you know what I'm thinking now? So so spoiler alert for the end of the book, they don't get to keep their dinosaur morphs um, when they go back to their own time. And I guess what I'm, the way I'm logicking this is that like over the course of the 60 odd million years that those dinosaur morphs were just sitting in Z space, just hanging out uh, over long enough course, long enough course of time, every morph in Z space just gets turned into jelly on the windshield of a space cruiser. So essentially closing a Sario rip is closing like an aberrant loop in space time. So that, so those events either did exist or didn't exist. It's a little bit fuzzy, but realistically, I think they created that rule and applied it in book 11. And again here, because they knew that if they sent them back to the time of the dinosaurs, like they wanted to do, they could not keep dinosaur morphs in present day because no one would ever morph anything else they would have to reintroduce yeah. the concept of the fact that they went back in time to the cretaceous period in every single book because every book <laughs> could be somebody's first so you'd have to explain in every book how these animal morphing kids have dinosaur morphs you'd have to do it in yeah. every single book and that gets real tiresome and it would be especially tiresome like it would be especially tiresome for the people reading it. It's like, yeah, why are you explaining this to me over and over again? Because every book is... Yeah, no, you, yeah. you, you were going to say it. They, they already explain the whole premise of the books and the characters and their powers at the beginning of every book anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah, and... Yeah, I, I can't imagine them... I can't imagine how exhausting it would be to in every single book because... When are you not going to do that morphing? Every single book, have them just be like, yeah, and, you know, Jake and Marco and Axe, their new battle morphs are Tyrannosaurus Rexes. Because they're OP. Yeah. I mean, Rachel would still probably be a grizzly over a Danonicus, but, like, you can't tell me Marco, with his small man energy, because he is very short and very insecure about it and quite angry whenever anyone brings it up, Marco, with his fucking manlet energy... Would not Man want to rights. be a T-Rex every time he could possibly be one. I would just do it just to fuck with people. If you could, like, just walk down the street one time. Like, who's going to believe you? Take a take a fucking picture. <laughs> I'm going down the street in full Tyrannosaurus morph going, like, turn back the clock, roll back the rock, turn back the talk clock to the dawn of time and sing this song with me. Roll back the rock to the dawn of time when earth was smoking and the lava flowed. Roll back the rock to the dawn of time. You can blow your cool just like a volcano. Snap your fingers and stomp your feet. Soaking up a little of the jungle beat. Roll back the rock to the dawn of time and sang this song with me. Roll back the rock. Oh, I love that you remember that. I <laughs> cannot forget We're Back a Dinosaur Story. I Man. I thought we were going to get a reference to it at some point in here. I was waiting for it. <laughs> oh. oh, man. So, I mean, John Rachel Goodman did actually... Things. Rachel did actually do that at one point. She, like... 
some dudes were harassing her and she partially morphed into an elephant and just screamed at them and scared I, them the fuck off. I remember that. Like, she gave herself an elephantish face and... Yeah. Yep. And that was book two. And also, like, reading reading that back again is deeply disturbing. Not just because it's deeply disturbing when any group of anyone follows a uh, follows a woman into an alleyway. But also, these were, like, grown men following a 13-year-old girl into an alleyway. (laughs) So it's fair enough to just turn only your head into an elephant and fuck with them. Yeah. Also, they've... uh, The artist... Oh, I can't remember who the artist is for the whole... Of the Animorphs books. But they've released the... uh, They've released the pages for that bit. And it's fucking great. Um, Yeah, by the Animorphs... uh, uh, graphic novels. There's at least one out, and number two is either coming out soon or is already out. I'm not sure. Uh, but they're are they put good. out by the same people that are doing the? Are they published by the same that are doing the Taz? Like, how did Taz oh. get the rights to reference Animorphs? Uh, because it's a background reference, and I would wager they asked nicely. Uh, yeah, uh, I figured it wasn't a big thing. Also, but I was just K-A- curious because they're K-A both Applegate graphic is, novels. K. A. Applegate is pretty good about copyright stuff. Like, whenever the books were up for free on places, she was like, no, we're not going to shut that down. These books aren't really in print anymore. If people want to read them, they can read them. That's okay. They don't have another way of accessing them. I'm just happy they're reading my books. K. A. Applegate, come on the pod. We will give you the worst interview of your life. <laughs> oh, my God. Don't, don't put that kind of pressure on us. <laughs> I can't. I ima- already undersold it by a lot. <laughs> I I can't. I can't imagine. I mean, if we got if we got K. A. Applegate or Jenny Nemo on this podcast, I would die. Like, I we would not, we would not have that podcast episode if they contacted us. Like, hey, we're going to be on an episode. I would not want to continue having a podcast because I would be so afraid of fucking that up so bad. <laughs> my my first question is like, uh, so Miss Applegate, uh. Real talk, Ronald Reagan, Yerk controller or what? <laughs> she would probably say yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, canonically, the Yerks first came to the uh, came to the planet Earth during the Gulf War. Um, okay. So it's a more Bush administration thing. I get it. Mm-hmm. Bush Senior. Mm-hmm. Well, why not both? <laughs> of course, both. Yeah. Uh. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, so they continue on, and they, Rachel and Tobias, run into an alien called the Nesk, and it's described as like eight feet tall and wearing like a weird helmet and shit. And then Rachel attacks it because it's pointing a gun at them and is like, "Hey, come with me right now. You don't have the right to do what you're doing, and you're." like, you're fucking transforming. I saw your other form. Come with me right now. You need to come with me. And You're not allowed to transform here. And she fucking, like, tail whipped it as a Denonicus and cut it in half because turns out the Nesk are just ants. They're colonies of ants. And that's really fucking cool that they just, like, put themselves in containment suits or form into different patterns to be able to use tools. That's just neat. Um, well, I wanted to delineate. Are they... Li- I wanted to delineate. Are they literally ants, or are they just, like, a, a similarly sized and similarly shaped uh, six-legged uh, antenna-sensing colony insect that has gained, like, hive mind sentience? I think they're just a similar kind of bug. Well, Not, like, literally like ants. I don't think they're literal earth ants. So here's the problem. 
here's the problem. It gets a little murky on that, actually. Uh, because, in theory, they are just very similar. Except, at one point, K.A. Applegate was asked, Hey, what happened to the Nesk? Why didn't they ever, you know, come back to Earth? Um, and she said, Have you been to a picnic lately? They never so, left. So, <laughs> And you're like, oh, shit. So are they ants? Especially since, like, apparently their alert pheromones and shit are very similar to ant ones because Rachel described them as being very similar in smell. Um, I don't I don't like that explanation, truthfully. Um, I have my own thought process on what happened to the Nesk, and we'll talk about that when we get to the end of the book. I mean, we we already got broccoli is confirmed from outer space, so um, oh my God. I don't know if I can deal yeah. with ants too. Yeah, uh, yeah. So while that while that's happening, and Tobias and Rachel are getting chased off a cliff by a Nesk ship, uh, the other four found a found a ravine city with fucking force fields around it, operated by crab people. Uh, crab people. Yes, they are crab people called the Mercora. Uh, they have. And let me just say, they got great vibes. They fantastic do fantastic vibes. They do have fantastic vibes. They've also got dumb bodies. Uh, yeah. They have one big crab claw on one side and two roughly humanoid arms on the other side, and then four big strong legs on one side and three smaller weaker legs on the other so they just like shuffle slightly as they walk and they're fucking weird and i've got some things to say about them yeah like their carapace is just open with more eyes from everywhere and that's fucked but also really cool um uh i am i'm i'm copying and posting in chat like the only fan art i could find of mercora and it looks fucked it looks oh, bad. Oh boy. Yeah, oh, that that okay. checks out. Good job, That's, friend. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're big, dumb crab-looking freaks. It's they eating really broccoli, are. though. Look at them. It oh, is. Oh yeah, he's cute. He got a broccoli. <laughs> yeah. So they describe <laughs> these macora as farming broccoli. <laughs> these cra- not, not broccoli-like vegetables. Cra- not literal, actual broccoli. Yeah, That's these, just broccoli. These crab aliens are farming gr- broccoli. They're they're refugees because their their planet went into a black hole, which is probably the result of some bullshit game from the Elemist. Um, yeah, I'm gonna say refugees from an intergalactic war, and now broccoli's in your local grocery store. Yeah, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and oh my god! But but so they meet back up again, and the Mercora take them in because the Mercora and the Nesk are at war, but it's a cold war. Um, because the Mercora have great shields and the Nesk have great, uh, weapons. So an attack from the Nesk won't do anything, but an attack from the Mercora is pointless. Um, either way, they take them in and, yeah. Are just so nice. They, just so nice. They'll be like, oh, you, y'all, y'all can do a little bit of thought speak. Uh, you can transform. You're fun. You're not like the Nesk. You're not like in a... You know, you're nice. You're not going to mess with us. We can talk to you. Uh, hey, look, welcome to our settlement. Have some broccoli. We're having a great old time. Uh, our force fields are good enough to protect against the Nesk. Uh, we're just, you know, settling on this little planet here. What are, where are you from? Where are you guys from? And they're like, mm, a future that you're not in, chief. Sorry. Yeah, Tobias, Tobias has been clocking this comet in the mm-hmm. sky for days. And he immediately, in private thought speak, tells everyone, 
don't say we're fun we're from the future don't say we're from earth in the future do not tell them this because he's the only one who knows what's fucking going on he's the only one who they're gonna ask this. oh how's how are our mark how are our Mercora descendants doing on earth in the future and you yeah. don't want to have to answer that you yeah you do not want that conversation uh-huh but so they're eating they're eating while they're here uh tobias and uh, tobias is eating rats while he's eating early mammals but but the, but the humans the humans mm-hmm. are eating broccoli and carrot sticks recognizable orange carrot sticks 65 million years ago for some for some reference orange carrots have only existed for a couple hundred years because they were selectively farmed by dutch farmers in like dutch they were they were used as like a political tool during a dutch revolution because of i'm sorry what the monarch the monarch of the netherlands william the orange or william of orange it's fucking wild the history of carrots the history of carrots is fucking wild there's a life science article are carrots orange because of a dutch revolutionary yeah, so that that article is one of the ones that I read while looking into this, and it says that the the Dutch Revolutionary thing is, like, possibly apocryphal, but it doesn't really list any other explanations, because they were definitely selectively bred, and they were first depicted on, uh, like, farm signs and stuff in the Netherlands during that time, so... Um, but also, they're like, oh yeah, this explain. It turns out broccoli isn't even from Earth originally. The Mercor imported it from their home planet, which explains a lot, I think. Like, oh, you mean ex- you, you mean it explains how a plant as incredibly varied as wild mustard can exist and be shaped through selective cultivation so easily into so many different forms? Is that what it explains? Because no, man, broccoli looks funny and tastes funny. It's Kids bad. Like it's a broccoli. food I don't want to eat because I'm a child. <laughs> Fucking, I mean, one broccoli is good. Broccoli is really broccoli's great, dude. I fuck with raw broccoli every goddamn day. Oh, I can't fuck with raw broccoli. It just it feels like I'm eating sand. It's so it's so dry and pebbly. That's what I like. Gives you something to really chew on for a while, make you gnaw on it like an old camel. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not about that. Uh, But 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 fucking yeah, mustard. Okay, comes in so many forms, and one of those forms is broccoli, and it's so varied and it's really really cool to me and it's just like oh yeah it's from space like okay i know i know you're just doing this as a like ew gross it's not even from this planet but like i mean if if any if any currently domesticated plant was like brought on a space voyage it would be the variations of mustard because they are so resilient Here's wait, here's another thing though. If this was recognizably broccoli, sixty fourth million years in the past, and that was like the same broccoli that we know as like a child growing up in nineties America, that means that broccoli is like an apex vegetable that has reached the end point of evolution <laughs> and needs not change over the course of millions of years. Mm-hmm. It can outcompete everything to stick around. Um, but fun little fact. Um. The first domestication of uh, mustard was about 6,000 years ago, which, as we all know, is how old the Earth is. Yep. This is when the Earth began. <laughs> <laughs> that's, when, that's when Jesus uh, put the dinosaurs into stone. 
with yeah. uh, the Gorgon vision that Jesus had to turn them to stone. Okay, wait. So wait. So broccoli's must. So broccoli is like a mustard plant. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, there's okay, a lot of there's a lot of different variations of mustard. Uh, Clearly. But some of the uh, so the like primary ones. Da, 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 oh, am I looking at the right? Also, thing? combine ah, with like that. Uh, there we go. Uh, so different cultivated forms of mustard include bok choy. Uh, mm field mustard to do napa cabbage and all types of cabbage and lettuce uh no shit turnips and uh broccoli uh let's see broccoli cauliflower uh as a result also brussels sprouts like a shitload of the plants we eat are just different cultivated forms of wild mustard that's cuckoo bananas. Those comes in entirely yeah. different forms, from cabbages to broccolis to Brussels sprouts to turnips. Yeah, it's I mean, all Brussels mustard sprout, all the way down. Brussels sprouts are just young uh, cabbage, I believe. So last summer, I, I grew that. both cabbage and Brussels sprouts, and I can see where that connection is. Yeah. But the fact that they are such different forms is absolutely buck wild to me. Yeah, it's it's yeah. really cool learning about this shit. This. This might be our most educational episode yet. <laughs> oh, it's so not over yet. You're that smarter. It's it's another, not over yet because I'm, I'm going to talk about meteorite impacts later. Yes. Let me let me go back to carrots oh. for a split second because I just got on that research thing again where I was telling someone like, is that true? Do I remember that? That the reason there's the mythology, the total apocrypha about carrots uh, being good for your vision is because it was weird World War II propaganda meant to like counterintelligence the fact that america mm -hmm. had developed radar technology to explain why they could detect uh, Luftwaffe, uh, uh oh britain um to sort of like counterintelligence like the fact that uh they developed radar technology to detect aircraft in the dark of night uh under london's uh citywide uh blackouts to prevent air uh air attacks and if so if the germans were just like damn how can they see our sh how can they see our airships it's like oh because they eat carrots so they can see in the dark super good Mm -hmm. it's so it's so fucking stupid it it is really stupid but it worked <laughs> so uh, i'm beginning to understand that uh carrots are the most apocryphal vegetables they kind of really are they're also terrible for rabbits yeah oh because... that's true because they've got too much sugar for a carrot for they've got too much sugar in carrots for a rabbit to normally have in their diet but the cultural association between carrots and rabbits was formed by Bugs Bunny cartoons because Bugs Bunny was meant to like have the image of chomping on a cigar like a mobster that his voice emulated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but to keep it kid friendly, it's a carrot. Uh, he also gave us the modern understanding of oh, I can't remember what he would often call Elmer Fudd. It's a word Nimrod. That, Nimrod. Nimrod. Yeah, who was a who? biblical hunter, uh, mm -hmm. and it was a it was a mocking term that he was giving to. Uh, Elmer Fudd mocking him by calling him such a great hunter. Yeah, sarcastically now... calling him a great hunter. But people who watched it just thought, oh, I don't know what that word means. I guess it means he's stupid. Yeah. yeah. Damn, this really is our most educational episode ever. <laughs> I love... Am I using this word right that it's apocrypha? Uh, yes. Apocryphal. Apoc yeah. yeah, apocryphal is... My understanding is it is essentially a... a uh, an explanation oh, created through cultural mythos and now widely accepted as fact and i'm just and i'm just now learning that that refers to uh that apocryphal is an adjective referring to the noun apocrypha which mm -hmm. are biblical books that are not canonical yes not so canonical it's like in most cases yeah 
So to say something is apocryphal is just say like, well, people seem to know this, but that's not necessarily right. But that's all in a biblical context. Mm Kind of like um, the story of Satan rebelling and and being and being kicked out of the heavens by Michael. That's not in the Bible. That's nowhere. That's apocryphal Mm -hmm. in the extra books that are not really canon, but they're they're pretty cool. I'm also finding a synonym for apocrypha called pseudoepigrapha, which just means false attribution. Yes. So I might start using that word to be extremely pretentious. <laughs> pseudoepigrapha, because mm-hmm. most of the most of the apocryphal books are pseudoepigraphical. Because mm. when you're going to write your ancient book about how the world will end, you're going to write it in the name of someone cool like Enoch, not whatever your name is in the second century no enoch this is fucking cool Mm -hmm. i'm just really appreciating hearing all of this knowledge (laughs) learning history and um oh fuck what's the one about what's the one about words etymology Etymology. history and history and etymology are really fun to dig into i'm just now realizing we never did a sync we never did the sync claps oh fuck at the beginning of the episode sorry about that everybody that (laughs) That would have been so bad we're just having a fun time talking. I'm gonna cut that out. Uh, fuck. <laughs> oh, okay. Shit. Anyway, so the animorphs are hanging out with two aliens, uh, two sets of aliens. Sixty-five. Oh, wait. Because the the one group of animorphs has found this uh, force field city, and the other group of animorphs are being chased off of a cliff. And as they're chased off of the cliff, they do. And the other one of them, and the other group of them are flying around the cliff. They do that thing like this: the meme of Elliot Page and what's his name, uh, Aiden something from frickin' the Umbrella Academy. Hold mm-hmm. on, I don't remember that guy's name. I just remember he was okay. being like a a real big douche about being vegan at one point. Anyway, it's the meme with Elliot Smith and Aiden Gallagher from um, Umbrella Academy passing each other in cars and sort of looking at each other like. What the fuck? How are you here? Yeah. Elliot Page. Because the anim... Yes. Did I say that? You said Elliot Smith. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> That's <laughs> wrong. Oh, God. Well, anyway, so the two Animorph groups that I guess thought that the other group was dead are now uh, combined again. Oh, and we totally glossed over the fact that at some point uh, Rachel was walking around very hungry and gave a really (laughs) specific description of the Denny's Grand Slam that she was, like, craving for, and I thought... Denny's original Grand Slam breakfast is now just $1.99. $1.99? Are you out of your mind? And that's what I was, like, really reflecting on the product placement in this book because i guess k.a applegate is like trying to like connect to things that kids know such as like brand stuff so she talks about doritos she's writing about like i think taco bell made like two appearances in this book yeah yeah um so there's a lot of brand names popping up but they they really drilled down on the specifics of the Denny's Grand Slam. <laughs> yeah. It's described All, in such obsessive detail. She oh, also drilled down very hard describe. on smuckers. Mm-hmm. Raspberry preserves. Gotta be, gotta have the seeds. I don't know what kind of baby needs seedless raspberry preserves. I like smuckers. It's the best. Gotta have my, gotta have my <laughs> seeded raspberry preserves. It, it was so disjointedly written, but it does kind of reflect that just like, Hunger, 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 yeah. hunger, hunger, hunger mindset. Yep. 
it's, it's and whenever it's, they name whenever they drop name brands you can tell they're just trying to nod to the audience of kids being like see we get you we're hip we know what the kids eat it, and connected and connected to like this the way Kay Applegate tries to throw out stuff that kids might recognize mm-hmm. uh, she has a bunch of pop culture references but also like old stuff that is yeah. mostly channeled through Marco things that kids wouldn't normally get mm-hmm. but she sets up Marco as like this weird pop culture guy who like watches TV from the 50s like she she name drops you know the, the bubbling crude from the freaking Beverly Hillbillies theme song up through the ground come a bubbling Black gold. Yeah, Texas. and Marco is just flying around singing the Flintstones theme song, yeah. which, to be fair, as a as a child in the '90s, we definitely sang that in multiple years of music classes. Mm-hmm. And that and is the one to yeah. yeah, yeah, and that would have been the one to sing when you're fucking around with in dinosaur times. Oh, of yeah. course, you're gonna do some. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. although although around the same time they also could have been singing the dinosaurs theme song. They could have just been going, Honey, I'm home. You mean the dinosaurs, the puppet sitcom? I thought you meant Disney's dinosaurs with fucking, what's his name, Aladar. Oh my god. Oh, I gotta watch that goddamn thing again. I would be down to watch that because it was so bad. An iguanodon. Oh, I know, it sucked. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, he was. Was he yeah. an iguanodon? Okay. He didn't have. He the was supposed to be an iguanodon. Yeah, because you could tell by the hands and the head, um, mm, or the true. yeah, the forelimbs and the head. But uh, but yeah, he was supposed to be. The lemurs God weren't damn. supposed to be there, but okay. I mean, I mean, you could say that about the Madagascar. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, they are with the Mercora, and they're sitting on. Force fields shaped into easy chairs yeah, and totally lazy chairs. And that's so fucking cool. I love that. Like, the part of my brain that wants to do those, like, graph paper room reorganization exercises loves the idea of all of my furniture being shapeable uh, force fields. I love that yeah. shit. But also, that's so dumb. That's some dumb, ridiculous sci-fi shit, and I'm here for it. <laughs> and to talk about, like, uh, different timelines of technological development, they say, like, the Mercora, like, don't have a lot of technology at all, but they kick ass at force fields. They, they can do. do force fields like nobody's business. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting as a race with an exoskeleton. That makes a certain degree of sense. Yeah. Um, but... But they're starting to plan out this idea of, okay, well, Axe is working with the Mercora so that they can, you know, figure out how to get get us back home. And, like, okay, well, they don't have any kind of explosives, but the Nesk do. They've certainly uh, salvaged shit that could be used to make a fission bomb, which they keep calling fusion bombs, but I refuse to because it's inaccurate. Because um, the Nesk are, like, big uh, scavenger types, and they're, like, taking a bunch of stuff from other peoples around the galaxy and stuff and that's why they even it's described that's why they even take on like a semi-humanoid shape as a colony of ants is that so that they can wield like guns Mm -hmm. um but so they they decide to hatch this plan and while they're doing that cassie is getting real up in arms about the idea of them coming in and taking a side in this mercora versus nesk war 
Like, wait a minute, why are we attacking the Nesk? Just because we don't like them doesn't mean we could take up sides in the Mercora-Nesk war. It's like, Cassie, don't you fucking dare both sides this. One of them <laughs> wants to wipe out any intelligent life on this planet so that they have pure access to it. The other are a group of refugees. Don't fucking both mm -hmm. sides this. And clearly pacifists. Also, yeah, look, yeah. Cassie, I don't want to, Cassie, I don't want to spoil the ending for you, but neither of these guys are like really long-term investments. <laughs> yeah. And also you're fighting the Yerks in your own time. You, you know what to do with things like the Nesk. Like, you're yeah. already at war, okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and if you're planning on detonating a nuke, don't you think maybe, uh, other things will die when you set off that nuke. With, even if you set it off in the ocean. Oh yeah, we could just set off this nuke in the ocean and nothing bad will happen. What the, How? How are they so fucking dumb about that? Like, oh yeah, the ocean. It can take our nuclear waste and radiation. I mean, it's don't fine. Need to, you don't even really need to know about specifically the nuclear fallout to think, oh, the shockwave will make a bunch of fish explode into jelly, at least. Also, I don't know what to tell you. There's like no getting out of this one. Water uh, water carries pressure waves, like shock waves, better than air does. Water carries it better, so it will affect things at a further radius. <laughs> yeah, do you ever uh, see people do, like, hand grenade fishing? A nuke underwater, like, it kills half of an ocean just by, like, rupturing all of their skin and lungs. Yeah, it just... Yeah. Oh, well, they put water around nuclear reactors, like... Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Because it it allows the energy to dissipate a little bit easier than the air does. That's why they do it. That, that's why they do that. Okay, we're going to move off of that because I I could feel myself getting into talking about Cherenkov radiation, and that's pointless to it's talk so about easy. in this. It's so easy to get sucked into these conversations. I mean, I, I, radiation, I think it's cool. But anyway, um, yeah, so Cassie is being real weird about shit. Um uh, and Axe brings up this idea of determinism, essentially. Because he, he says, there is another consideration. We are here, which means we were here 65 million years in Earth's past. In other words, maybe our presence here is vital to the future. Maybe we did something that caused the future to happen the way it happened. Like, we can't be afraid to act, because if we act, that means we already acted. Which is realistically how I view time travel to the past is no matter what you're doing the results are immutable because you are coming from a future in which you those effects already are in place like i i don't i don't know i think Realistically, there was a... there's nothing there's 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 no factual argument for any interpretation of time travel but that is what i kind of see it as you're just transposing yourself at a different point in time but you are still taking those actions. Every action has already happened. We just haven't experienced the occurrence of that action yet. There's a scene I always love to reference, which is the uh, classic Bruce Willis and Joseph Gordon-Levitt scene from the absolute classic of a film Looper, where Bruce Willis is just like, look, we could sit here like making diagrams out of pipe cleaners and straws for six hours, but the truth is, it's time travel. It doesn't fucking matter. Don't think about it too hard. And so the determinism of this scene is just like, I was thinking about if you were really worried about altering the time stream and the second you realized uh, that you were back in time, you're just like, oh no, 
I can't do anything here. Anything I do is going to fuck things up. So, like, if you could just spontaneously combust and just die right there, uh, to do as little changing as possible, your body would still, like, just... And, like, they're wearing uh, the morph suits, which are, like, presumably, like, neoprene or something. So, like, the introduction of neoprene into the ecosystem, like, might cause something. Who knows? Doing absolutely anything is going to just butterfly effect everything. Yeah, and they've already yeah. killed many creatures. Mm-hmm. Axe even points out, like, the rat he eats could be the mammal that carries the, you know, the lineage that becomes primates. And, oops, mm-hmm. here we are. Or here we it's are. too late. We fucked. If if what we're doing is fucking with the time stream, we've already ruined it. So let's try to just get back to our present time and see if it's like a barren wasteland or if the Mercora are here, uh, you know, millions of years in the future with a highly advanced society and they have the whole planet and they're just like, oh, the from the legends from billions of years ago, the shapeshifters have returned. Our strange yeah. deities that helped us prevail over the nest and claim the planet. They, while discussing this, they also talk about, like, oh, what kind of technology would you want from all of this crazy shit we've seen? And Cassie says she wants the Nesk's force fields. That I'd rather, or the Mercora's force fields. She said, I'd rather have the Mercora's force fields. I like the way they do things. They protect themselves without having to be so violent. Tobias counters by saying, yeah, but they don't seem to object to us being violent on their behalf. Like, fucking Cassie, 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 you are... Cassie is a really good example, I I think, of a neoliberal mindset. She is content to sit and do nothing just so that she can argue she took the most moral high ground possible. Like, fucking, she took the moral high ground by not hurting anyone, even though the genocidal aliens laying claim to the whole planet were not stopped she can feel satisfied in her pride in herself that she didn't do any action. She's exactly the kind of person who would criticize someone for punching a Nazi because, well, as that long, just make, yeah. that makes you just as bad because you're using violence to intimidate as them. As long as you never have to compromise your own moral purity, it'll all work out. And you never have to take any action that makes you feel uncomfortable. Just mm-hmm. be passive. Yeah. And going to get into that a little bit later, too, but... Tobias is so fucking on point throughout this entire book. This this book is definitely a big Tobias lover book. Yeah. Because he is pointing out all of these issues and uh, So they go on this makes, mission. And he makes Okay, right. No, no, go go for it. I was going to say he makes a decision and a half. He makes a motherfucker of a decision. He sure But we'll get does. to that. We'll get to that. And I would argue that that decision and other decisions like it and other factors present in most books are why i would say tobias should be the leader of the animorphs but But can't rewrite the books uh but so they decide to go on this mission they're going to raid the nesk headquarters as dinosaurs because the nesk don't give a shit about the dinosaurs because they're unintelligent uh and their evidence for this is that they stunned two spinosauruses earlier rather than kill them but those spinosauruses weren't going directly into their base but either way, they they head off towards the base, and Cassie loses control of the T-Rex morph and kills a Triceratops and begins to feel guilty over it. Extremely guilty. Because she caught the T-Rex blood frenzy. Yeah. And there's a debate that happens here between her and Marco, uh, who are very opposed characters for a large portion of the books anyway, uh, and are also the characters that K.A. Applegate and her husband and co-writer, uh, or co-author Michael Grant see themselves most as 
respectively, which is weird to me that they're always at odds and fighting and don't seem to have anything in common, but, uh, whatever. Um, I mean, they're still together after all this time, so they must be doing something. I mean, as like, and with the writing of these characters as like cringy as Marco can be and as, you know, uh, blood knight psycho as rachel can be and as neo lib as uh cassie can be uh props to k applegate for like performing the dialectic for kids just like given a lot of different uh moral concepts yeah she really does introduce them all in a digestible way and in a way that i would argue makes i mean in this case i don't think cassie or marco are 100 percent right but they they have this argument uh Marco, uh, uh, so Marco says, Cassie, get over it. This is the late Cretaceous, according to, Bo- uh, according to Bird Boy here. Uh, there are no humans, no human civilization. Which racist, but No okay. human morality. Yeah, he's really bad to Tobias. <laughs> he's consistently terrible to Tobias. That's the only reason Tobias couldn't be the leader, is because Marco would never listen to him. Mm-hmm. Um, because Marco's a dipshit. Uh, he has a lot to deal with, but he's still a jap. He's still a jap. But that's the dialectic. Um, so. But... Yeah, no human civilization, no human morality or religion or philosophy. This is hardcore nature. We're down to survival here. Survival, that's all that counts. Surviving and getting home, Rachel amended. And Cassie says, there are humans here, us. We are human civilization. We have all that stuff inside us. It doesn't matter what year it is. Okay, you're right, Marco snapped. It doesn't matter if this were 1998 or 2000 or 2121. It would still come down to surviving. And when it's down to kill or be killed, all that morality and guilt and all is crap. Uh... Yeah, Cassie says, you know something, Marco? You're my friend. I'd do almost anything for you, but you're wrong. Yeah, we're just animals ourselves, but we're animals who can think. We're the animals who can imagine something better than kill or be killed. I don't think predators are immoral. I'm not an idiot. Whatever you may think. But I'm a human, okay? And I have to think and care, and I have to feel things. Otherwise, I might as well be some gangbanger or a Nazi or a yerk. Whoa, okay. And... There is an interesting debate debate to this because I would argue that neither of them are 100% correct. Like, Marco is full-on nihilism here and I cannot get behind nihilism. I really can't. I especially can't get behind pessimistic nihilism because, yeah, okay, we're not in a situation that's going to judge us morally for these actions, but we still have that internal moral compass and we can decide how we feel about things. And... I also think Cassie is partially wrong here because Marco's kind of right. You gotta, when it comes down to killing or being killed, choosing to survive, choosing to survive at the expense of a less intelligent creature, I don't think is an immoral act. Choosing to preserve yourself and your companions is, I don't know. It's like the argument that like, Choosing to work for a horrible, shitty corporation makes you just as bad as the corporation. It doesn't. The corporation is shitty. You're just trying to find a way to pay your bills. And I can I can sympathize with that. It's but. it's getting into, like, how you deal with moral contexts. Sorry, as an aside, uh, I'm playing Destiny as we play this, and there's literally a guy in my game whose tag is Bird Boy, and I'm like, oh, shit, it's him. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the... The dynamic between uh, Marco and Cassie right now is Marco's just like, look, nobody's you can do an immoral thing. Nobody's going to know. And Cassie's like, I know. And that's... Yeah. And 
and to zoom out to the context of like they're trying to get back home like not let's say like not only for the selfish reasons of like i don't want to be trapped in even if we get to live pretty comfortably uh, with the crab people and eat broccoli i don't want to be back like 65,000 65 million years in the past i want to go back to my own time but also that they were crucial in uh protecting uh the planet earth against the year invasion so they have a they have like a moral interest in returning to their own time so that they didn't just like vanish that one day and uh, potentially like allow the Yerks to just steamroll Earth. Yeah. So you can have a conversation about like bigger picture, greater good about like, look, the, the people here, the, all the people hanging out, all the people, all the animals, all the dinosaurs, all of everyone hanging out here 65 million years ago. We know that they're kind of fucked as it is one way or another. Uh, but is it more important for us to get back to our own time to protect the people there? Yeah, like, and we, we already know that these people are dead. We know that all of them are dead. We need to focus on the people we can save. It's why I think in this specific instance, Marco is right. But in the grand scheme of things, I agree more with Cassie. Because I don't think morality changes depending on whether you're observed or not. It's like, I remember back in high school, Jamie, our, uh, our humanities professor... Our teacher, he was not a professor, he was a teacher. Uh, our humanities teacher said that without religion, human beings have no concept of morality because there's no sense of, well, why are you doing that? Where are you getting this morality from? Or the idea of being punished for doing something wrong. If you don't fear being punished for doing something wrong, you're not going to act morally because you're, uh, because there's no reason not to. Like, no. I'm saying the only way to be moral is like the only way to be moral is like knowing that there is an authority to discipline you if you do not. Wait, who told you this? Our humanities teacher. Which what? is for a humanities That's... teacher. I, I I don't remember this specifically. Was he like trying to make us think about it, or was he just like straight up fuck off wrong? He was telling us his opinion. Okay. Which he was because stating I know that, as I... fact. Because I know this argument wow. about like uh, religious, spiritual, morality disciplining, uh, where. Uh, the comeback I've I heard about and would regurgitate would be like okay so let's say like God came to you in a dream and you knew it was God it was like God God the real one it wasn't a delusion or a hallucination and the God said you got a free pass you do whatever you want you go to you go to heaven still you're totally in the clear you get the ultimate get out of jail free card for whatever reason that God is motivated to do this maybe as an experiment maybe because I don't know you were nice enough already that you've got the free pass for the rest of your life and then that question is like, okay, so what do you do? Do you go around, like, I don't know, stealing, murdering, raping, do whatever the hell you want uh, of all the moral things? And somebody would say no, because I'm a good person. And it's like, so you have something about you that's a good person that guides your morals without uh, the proverbial sky daddy, like, acting as a disciplinary authority to you. Yeah. If, the, if it wasn't there, if there wasn't, like, the religious morality structure guiding you on this you have a sense of what is good or bad anyway and not the least of which is the social contract such as yeah. even if god gave you a pass if you went around murdering you would still go to fucking jail or something yeah so I, yeah, there's it's, there's it's other there's there's other like enforcers of uh morality not just from a spiritual context but like a societal and institutional context and also largely internal because you have the social contract in your brain where you know at least a little bit to do unto others as you as you would have them do unto you so you're not going to be that fucking bad unless you're totally psycho so if somebody told me that if god gave them a free pass at everything and let's say for the sake of things the federal government gave them a free pardon for everything 
and they would steal and rape if they wanted to, then I would look at that person and think, oh my god, you're deeply diseased. Like, yeah. You're fundamentally I, broken. Like, yeah. You are a I, you are just a non-person right now. Yeah, I'm really kind of flabbergasted that a teacher, you know, that a teacher would insert his own opinions that way and not, I don't know. It's and actually really tell us, no, I... That yeah, would tell he, you, though, like, from the authority did, of a at teacher, the end I of our, uh, He frequently did that at the end of our in-class debates about stuff. He would say what he thought. Oh. Like, yeah. You can't do that. You can't do that neutrally and objectively way... as a teacher, as an authority trying to make you understand things as a more developed person. Mm-hmm. You, ca- you can't be like that as a teacher. That's fucked. Yeah, Especially yeah, when you're I mean... acting essentially as a moderator for said debate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're the humanities teacher. You're supposed to be teaching us about morality. And for his point to be like, well, I believe that morality only comes from a spiritual authority. That's not good. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, like, it's... Okay. Like, it's... Sorry not to get on a soapbox, but it's a fundamentally useless... It's like a God of the Gaps kind of argument because there is no unadulterated access to that authority you have to have people interpreting and enforcing it so you have to first trust the people doing the interpreting and enforcing and his you know look at history for about five minutes and there is no way to get one set system there that works for all times and all people yeah and yeah people don't generally tend to uh interpret god's will from a neutral and objective standpoint no and like the idea that the idea that you can only be a good person, a good and moral person, if you are doing it out of fear of punishment is completely ass backwards to me because that mm-hmm. means you're doing it for your own benefit. You are yeah. doing it out of self-interest and that's bullshit. Like I don't I don't believe in hell and I still I do I do all the murdering I want to, which is none. I mean, Neanderthals and early hominids cared for their elderly and sick. And the mere concept of, okay, we have no written records, but we can reasonably determine that no modern religion existed in that. None of the religions we know today were there. So they may have had some spiritual idea of morality, but we don't know. We we just don't know. So like maybe this is more likely than not based around the sun. Yeah. Please guys stop me because i'm about to get into like the malthusian worldview but essentially yeah like before the establishment of religion which i mean according to religious people there was no world before the establishment of uh their religion but like for proto-humans like in the absence of like the understanding of morality by the light of christ uh society could not have formed on pure malthusian self-interest it like it just wouldn't it is the most maladaptive fuck we talked in the uh I, it, it reminds me of in the Elemist, where uh, the bad guy Elemist was just like, oh yeah, I introduced cannibalism, which is always maladaptive. They do not come back from cannibalism. To form your Malthusian worldview that like people are fundamentally cannibalistic and like only self-serving at the expense of any social grouping, uh, that is maladaptive. That shit does not survive. So there's no way that humanity could have like developed in this like doggy dog Malthusian understanding of self-interest. Yeah. as the core motivator yeah. that can only be tempered and prevented by spiritual authority which for people who uh whose job it is to be the arbiters of spiritual authority and interpretation that worldview is very fucking convenient and keeps you in good business mm-hmm. okay we were all talking right. about animals yeah yeah all right backing fun, off fun from mention. our own 99 treatises <laughs> um 
yeah fuck um but so they do it they they go through um and they go through with this mission and they use thought speak and that immediately sets off thought speak detectors in the nesk base because the nesk know that the mercora use thought speak which is fucking good i love that i love that that's idea. that's really smart of them that's uh-huh. a really good move mm-hmm. uh but so it sets this off and they just have this like dragged out mission and they get the they get the fission explosive and the mercora bring in their ships to try and cover their escape because these people are their allies they're gonna come in and help uh and they blow up the final nesk ship that is taking part in the battle and they you know fly off and a couple a couple mercora die and they the animorphs get brought onto the mercora ship and the mercora have just ripped off some of their arms and they're lying on a ceremonial cloth in the corner they're like what the what the fuck what the fuck just happened oh we must make the sacrifice of pain the legs will regenerate but we but those we honor will will not this is a symbol it speaks to our spirit's pain by echoing it in physical pain we did it for those who were in both ships to be killed is a sadness to kill is a sin and the macoras just had the the Macoras were like the realest motherfuckers. They really should have had yeah. control of the earth at the end of the day because their culture was like, uh, good. Yeah. So, well, here's the thing. Cassie does talk to him and she's like, oh, our legs and arms don't regenerate. And he's like, oh, then you must bear the pain inside. And Cassie's like, yes, I will. And Cassie's like, fuck, I will. Oh my God. Like, so bad. <laughs> but honestly, this just feels like a fucking circle jerk. This just feels like a neo... <laughs> this just feels like a neo-lip circle jerk. Let's be real. If your limbs regenerate, then you're not sacrificing anything but pain, which is temporary, and this is pain with the knowledge that it will leave no lasting impact on you whatsoever. This is an almost empty gesture, and it's it's just it's just them creating temporary discomfort for having done this thing. Just like Cassie, oh, I'm bearing the guilt of this. That's my sacrifice. I'm feeling guilty for it. Of course you're feeling fucking guilty for it. Fuck you. That's gonna, not a sacrifice. Yeah, that's could, not action. To be, that's not actionable. That's just. But you'll absolve your uh, you'll absolve yeah. yourself and your decisions by uh, self flagellation. If you feel bad enough about it, then it's all good. Yeah, I. Oh man, I like the Mercora in a lot of ways, but this thing, this felt like K. A. Applegate creating like absolution for Cassie's point of view, when in reality it's. I mean, it's not, it's, it's better. It's better than what she does in that it has any form of impact, not lasting, but it has some form of impact. Cassie just feels guilty and then doesn't use that guilt to spur her onto anything else. She just uses it to make other people feel guilty and bog down everything else, keeping them from accomplishing goals. I'm not saying guilt is useless. Guilt is is a very effective tool when used to inform future actions. But Cassie doesn't do that. If Cassie used her guilt to inform future actions, she would not be an Animorph anymore. Because she would have left. She would have left being an Animorph if she was so if she felt guilty about this and used her guilt for everything else that she's done this whole time, if she let that guilt affect her to take action, she would have stopped being an Animorph. But at the end of the day, she point, knows these things Megamorph, are necessary. So she's just feeling Meg- guilty for nothing. But before Megamorphs too, she has already seen and done so much 
more uh, violence and with greater consequences than this because this is sort of a closed system, this Markoran-esque thing, because if you believe in the timeline at all, uh, they're both gone at some point. And but it is... But you're right, it isn't just like... It isn't just the final outcome, it's the decisions you make and the effects you have at like introducing more pain and sorrow into the universe that could have been avoidable, but like the question of if it's avoidable is like really complicated. Uh, because a lot of the intense decisions that these kids get forced into over the course of their being animorphs do not accommodate uh, the specific moralities of these kids. It's they really don't get good options for things. They don't, uh, and, and I think that's where uh, the series shines in the way it forces these kids to have like important moral decisions. Is that there is so rarely a Deus Ex Machina that you know gives them the morally correct out to an incredibly difficult dilemma mm-hmm. yeah and even the actual deus ex machina in the world of the story is a questionable source of like morality and goodness like so. yeah the elemist is fucking cryptic at best and like himself or itself like as we saw from the last book deeply struggles with what it means to be good and help and try to make the universe better it's an extremely like fraught path to walk that like is characterized by uncertainty and failure. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I, I really like about the Animorph books is it really in this children's book about turning into animals to fight a children's series about turning into animals to fight alien slugs. Like you have this sense that even the oldest creatures in the universe are still looking for the right way to be in this universe. There's really no, like, good... There are some good answers, and there are some, like, correct... Well, not correct decisions, but, like, arguably right decisions. But, like, nothing is ever clean, at the very least. Like, everything is extremely dirty with awful consequences. Even the best decision you could make is a fucking absolute calamity of sorrow and agony. Oh, and speaking of that... Oh, we didn't even get to the big decision that they make. Yeah, the big decision they make, because the Nesk fly off, and this comet, uh, they use a, they use their weapons to turn the comet towards the Earth, and it's going to, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to impact Earth, uh, and cause the extinction of the dinosaurs. It's going to land, actually, in the Mercora uh, city. And the Mercora are like, oh, well, if you give us that that nuclear weapon, we can destroy it, and it will never land on Earth. And during this point, Tobias says to them, oh, well, hold on. Um, leave it. We need to discuss it because it's our way home. Uh why don't you head out for a second and we'll call you back in in a couple of minutes and give you our decision. And they do, because of course they're trusting. They're never going to assume that anything is going to happen. Meanwhile, Tobias is whispering in thought speak to Axe specifically and telling him, Hey, you need to disa- you need to deactivate this thing because it's not going to work. It can't work. It must not work. So you need to deactivate it, and then we're going to go. And as soon as they give it over, and they, they vote, they vote on it. And and Cassie is really surprised that Tobias and Axe 
you know, just quietly vote to give them the thing. But, you know, you know, maybe they just see what's really important about these guys. And and then Tobias is like, all right, as soon as their ship leaves, we need to go because the force fields are going to be open and we need to be gone when that uh, comet hits. It's not a fucking comet. And they're like, what do you mean but, when the comet hits? I thought that wasn't the point. Be like, we made it a dud. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yeah, they intentionally rigged it so it wouldn't work because the Mercora have to be wiped out. Because there are no Mercora and no Mercora fossils and, like, nothing, no record whatsoever of the Mercora, they must die. And the impact of this then meteorite, when it makes impact, will will be enough, theoretically, to create a Sario rip. Uh, as they actually detonate the nuclear weapon um and that's a really fucking crazy decision and i i think i do stand behind it morally but it fucking sucks and jake and cassie are pissed as hell about it but they also are in that position of like god we know he's right but fuck you tobias you should have told us about this like no he yeah, should because have. they all they all like had to like grapple with the moral decision themselves and then come to a vote on it and then tobias and axe are just like no, we did something else. Yeah, I. We just did something else anyway. I, I am usually a fan of full, like, open communication, especially in that high stress of a situation. I'm actually on on Tobias and Axe's team on this one, because if they had told them, they never would have left. They would have stayed with the Mercora. Cassie absolutely would not have left whatsoever, and they wouldn't have been able to get home. They needed that they needed that deception in order to actually make it home and survive and keep the timeline right. I fucking hate it. I don't I would not appreciate it happening to me, but I understand it and I I think they were right. It's also a pretty severely evil thing. Like we talked about like uh Cassie's moral compromises and how like that might fit into the canon of these things. After specifically Tobias and Axe doing this, like I, I would think that this story can't be canon because Cassie would be just out. Yeah. Even if she, like, ever went back with them to, like, the, you know, present time, she'd just be like, I can't do this. Not yeah, with she... you. you. You guys, you guys not only... Okay, first off, you did a genocide. But then you also did the Cretaceous extinction event. Yeah. Which is... Inc- the, it, you did the worst thing that anyone could do ecologically. Yeah. I... I don't. You annihilated like thousands of species. Wait, I'm sorry. More. That's really underselling it. Yeah. Yeah. It was what's like 78 percent of life on Earth. Oh, it's the. Yeah. I looked it up. It's the Cretaceous Paleogene Extinction Event. Yeah. Also known as the KT Extinction Event. Yes, the KT. Ah. Um. Damn, that's a big oh, Wikipedia page. Go read. Go read up on that if you want to oh, fucking yeah. learn a thing or two about an extinction event. It's, mm-hmm. it's fucking horrendous. But seventy-five is estimated that seventy-five percent or more of all species on Earth vanished. Yet the extinction also provided evolutionary opportunities, as we, as we all see here. Yeah. So, so there's an there's a moral argument for like maintaining the time stream. Like we know that this is what happens. We're maintaining the time stream. I didn't make the decision. God made this decision, and we're just like doing it or something. But like. It is still, it is still a uh, placing 
not only your return to your time, yours and your friends return to your time period, but also the existence of all of uh, primate homo sapiens humanity, putting that above the existence, putting the eventual existence of homo sapiens above whatever potential future anything in the Cretaceous period had. Let, like, I mean, and I'm talking about just Earth dinosaurs, let alone the Mercora or the ants. Like, just superseding any of their right to life or future for reestablishing the status quo. Literally, make sure that humans get to be humans, and then we go back to the 90s. You know? Which is an insane moral decision to make. You're, it was a decision to literally craft the geohistorical pathway of the entire planet Earth. That's way bigger than a handful of fucking 13-year-olds can be capable of making. It absolutely is. I I think I would argue that I would argue that what they what they did in preserving the extinction event is justified to a degree. I I will I do disagree with them not telling the Mercora to just leave. It's like, oh well they don't have enough ships to evacuate fully, like Okay. Yeah, sorry, go. However many you can make that decision. Just go, just get out of here. Yeah, and yep. like Maybe tell them don't come back so that we don't have that conflicting with the timeline. Tell them don't come back. But I don't know. It's just I also think this is making me realize. Like this is making me realize all of the broccoli that would have been in that valley would have been completely eradicated. So there's no reason for broccoli to still be around. There isn't. Maybe you know. You know what? Maybe. No, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> if, like, some of the Mercora had, like, gone off and been like, oh, some time travelers came and just annihilated the entire colony of my people. Well, I'll put some broccoli back on that planet just to fuck with them or something like that. But it it might... Yeah, it's so hard to say. Like, at that point, do you maybe just be like, hey, Mercora, uh, the truth is we're time travelers. In our future, you don't exist. Guess what? We know you don't exist on this planet, but you might exist on another planet, so get the fuck out of here and maybe you can survive, okay? Head over to Europa. Yeah, sure! <laughs> but, oh man, it's, it's, a, it's a complicated issue, and I had kind of forgotten about it when I pitched this book, and it... I, I texted the group the other day, like, I am very excited to talk about the back half of this book, because the front half is just, it's just dinosaurs, and it's fun, but the back half is some, like, genuine ethical dilemmas. That's fucking Animorphs. This is a time yeah. travel filler episode where we get to do dinosaur adventures, yeah. and guess what? We've caused an extinction event. Um, Single-handedly oh. causing the evolution of humankind... You're going to carry that weight. <laughs> and causing the evolution of humankind, therefore drawing the attention of the Yerks to Earth. I was about to say that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, guess what? That then, like, yeah, that does negate the points. Like, maybe the Yerk Andalite War would turn out differently if the Yerks weren't drawn to this highly reproductive, like, basic primate species on planet Earth? Well, I'll tell you one thing. Because of the Andalite Chronicles, if there were no humans... Visser 3 would not be in an Andalite body. Visser 3 would not have become Visser 3. Because it is Chapman's fault that, uh, it is, uh, it is Chapman's fault that Alarin was yerked. So they also created Visser 3 by doing this too. I'm, I'm beginning to think what, 
I'm beginning to think the right move is just to hang out and eat broccoli with the crabs (laughs) until the end of your natural lifespan. And then on your deathbed, it'd be like, hey, so we're time travelers, but we made the decision uh, to allow you to keep the planet for as long as you can keep on it. A meteor is going to fall maybe sometime. Uh, But we didn't we didn't pull and redirect the very strings of fate for the entire planet right now. Thank you for the broccoli. I'm dead. (laughs) Um, Oh, I wanted to say I did a little bit of digging on the meteorite because (laughs) okay. Because, yeah, Chicxulub. Chicxulub. C-H-I-C-X-A-L-U-B. It landed in the Yucatan Peninsula in uh, Mexico. Don't go looking up image result searches of the crater because most of them are not actually real pictures of it, but the top results are fake pictures of it from widely circulated articles that just had graphic designers make something more visually impressive. Um, oh, that sucks. It's it's a cool crater, and the crater itself is 12 miles deep and about 93 miles wide, which yeah. is a pretty big fucking crater. It's a pretty mm-hmm. big fucking crater. Um, yeah. But Axe estimates that it is roughly five miles across and is... Uh, and will hit with as much energy as, say, a million nuclear missiles. Do you think that's going to be enough to seal the Sario rip? Well, one, definitely. (laughs) And two, he is vastly underestimating this thing. Yeah. Because... It was bigger and worse. Yes. The meteorite... Because we only just in 2020 discovered the angle that it hit at, we're still piecing together the exact dimensions of the thing and the exact energy um but the meteorite itself is estimated to be anywhere from 7 to 50 miles across Hmm. uh and impacted with a force more in line with anywhere from 20 to 920 billion atomic bombs not nuclear missiles atomic bombs okay but that's a couple billions it's i mean it's a difference of 900 billions in that estimation but like (laughs) fucking even if it's the minimum seven miles across 20 billion atomic bombs 20 billion atomic bombs is quite a lot more than than a million nuclear missiles that is so many orders of magnitude higher am i remembering correctly that they were like and and am i remembering correctly that they were like hey you guys we got to transform into birds and fly away from this impact yeah that was the plan (laughs) they they flew for i think like 12 hours uh you know taking breaks every two hours but they flew for like 12 hours they still would not have escaped even potentially the shockwave but it was yeah it was a it was a big thing turns out a a mass extinction event is a powerful event (laughs) um but cool thing i didn't know about impact craters so meteorite impact craters that are that big actually have not like noticeable to human action but uh quantifiably different gravity because of the because the impact pushes out a lot of the gas from around it and condenses a lot of the material that was there and includes Mm -hmm. a lot of heavier metals uh like iron and iridium iridium not iridium iron and iridium that area is slightly denser than the surrounding area 
So uh, the way they found the actual, like, in the ocean edge of the crater was by going around and measuring the change in relative gravity as they were going around. And that's so fucking cool. That is awesome. I actually worked on a project in, uh, in my, well, in, in college, which was a gravity gradiometer. It was designed to measure the degree to which Earth's, uh, Earth's gravitational force and field changed as you moved around. And it could be theoretically used even in satellites to detect changes as it went along. And it's, it's so cool to see that kind of stuff popping up and like yeah that's my fucking jam right there that's so cool i remember Uh, reading about how they even found because the the crater itself like there isn't a 93 mile like valley in the earth where we can see it it's all been filled in but like there are even like caves and other things around the land side ridge and they found um tectites like it hits the earth with such force that it turned a lot of the earth just to, to glass like little bits of it so there are like certain types of glass that can only be created by a meteorite impact and shocked quartz they, yeah shocked yeah yeah and it's it's so cool yeah and tectites tectites sound a lot cooler than they are <laughs> because when you look at them when you look at them in real life they just look like slowly cooled magma that cooled in the shape of dog turds but, but they are very they cool. In the, when you know what they are, they're really cool. But when you don't know what they are, they just look like poop. Tectite. It's like <laughs> meteor glass. And it's like, oh, it looks like shit. Like, literally, it sucks. But, oh, man. So they describe, because, yeah, like, as the serial rip finally resolves itself at this meteor impact, uh, we get, like, a really, like, long and elaborate description of watching the outcome of in every grisly detail of this meteor impact where uh they describe like yeah it like releases every like little pocket the shockwave releases every little pocket of carbon dioxide gas in the earth which then absolutely ignites and burns away absolutely everything the heat and everything of the explosion just melts if not cooks uh every single plant and animal in the way like we have a limited understanding of like what an explosion would look like but this is like this is an explosion and all of the effects that we can't even begin to understand it it was just blowing my mind a little bit Mm -hmm. it was it was powerful and a bunch of middle schoolers were right there as birds just watching all all the dinosaurs like turn into just charred corpses which I'm sure made Cassie feel excellent. Ooh, those are good tech type pictures. But um, but also, but I do look like. But um, I find it interesting. Like the second time the sar, okay, I guess you know we'll never know because it's not really explained. But does the Sario Rip just know what things are out of time and put them back? Because it doesn't take any of the dinosaurs and stick them in the present day. Nah. It also didn't take any of the people on the submarine or any of the divers. Mm-hmm. Unless it, it did, them. and they all fucking died in the dinosaur times and then came back with no memory of having gone back in time because they died. Yeah. So I Yeah, that would have been pretty cuckoo bananas. But I, yeah. the Sario rip itself was like the most 
narrative bullshit uh, that I'd seen over the course of this entire book, which is just like, yeah, the Animorphs go into it, and it's, and that's just about it. Yeah, yeah. The Animorphs go in, the Animorphs come out. There's no, they explain that like, Axe even like learns, Axe learns in school like what a serial rip is, but like we at no point understand why a big explosion causes a time space continuum breach. I like can also be undone by an even bigger explosion and won't send them and it'll send them right to the right place it won't just send them billions of years in the future or i i love i love the narrative tool or the author tool technically of we don't have to explain this because the only character that could explain it wasn't paying attention i (laughs) love that it's so good it is there is some like big brain alien spaceship explanation for this, but he was passing notes, so yep. yeah, I guess we'll never know. Kids not listening in school—it's a universal thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you better pay attention to your teachers, or you'll get lost in time. <laughs> and it's not the only weird time shit that happens in this series. There's weird time shit in three of the four Megamorphs books, okay. but I believe in three and four it has to do with the time matrix a white sphere that can send you through time oh and it was buried safely by Elfangor on earth he he took it he took it there when he was crash landing and buried it under his ship well, it doesn't because, seem that safe yeah yeah no that's not like having a that's like having a marble that travels through time and just Letting it be handed around a whole school. Mm-hmm. No one will be that dumb. Or or deciding to shove your great-great-great-uncle into a freezer <laughs> so that he can cool down enough to go back in time. <laughs> or having a magic snake that makes someone invisible squeeze them just a little bit to make sure they're not entirely dead. Or, like, unsqueeze them so that it squeezes the visibility back into them. <laughs> I I love those books dearly, but reading, reading Animorphs 8 just... I'm sorry, Jenny Nemo, much love to you for writing the Charlie Bone series. It I loved it as a kid. But a just truly better written series... I... I, I we're feeling a little bit hesitant to go back to Charlie Bone. I do still want to finish yeah. it at some point. Like, even at least finishing the original end point, like the end of book five, I think, was where it was, like, the original end of the contract. But, like, I, th- I think it might be a little bit before we go back to Charlie Bone, even though House yeah. of Mir- or Castle of Mirrors is next, and it's really cool. We're so reading some other more points. competently written stuff. Yeah. Okay, so not more competently so written. More stuff we can go in greater detail on and yeah. expand on better. Because so there's not a lot of, like, of high concept shit in Charlie Bone. No. So the kids, they go through the serial rip and see time fast forward to the future. And then they're just back in the ocean where they started with the nuclear submarine. And they just go home. And I yeah. thought, like, this is the most, like, perfect moment to be, like, to bookend it. Bring it all back to, like, Marco going back to his place where his dad's still watching TV. And he's like, hey, can you get me some chips? And Marco's just sort of, like, staring off into the distance. And his dad's just like, what have you been up to today? 
That would have no. Been... <laughs> we bookend it with Rachel going and getting a grand slam. <laughs> God damn it! If only. The fucking come on down to Denny's for the Animorphs Grand Slam, where you can have a whole bunch of blood of all of the people you slaughtered. <laughs> Drizzle all over your pancakes. You'll never forget the sins at the Denny's Grand Slam with twenty-five sausages made of the species you left to die in space. Get one hush puppy for every single eye Tobias has plucked out in this series. Spoiler alert: it's thousands. <laughs> And don't forget. And anyone and anyone under the age of 15 who's committed a war crime gets two free pancakes. <laughs> with Smucker's Jam. With seeds. <laughs> don't worry. We won't put boysenberry syrup on your table. Because that's a fucking problem, apparently, for people who, like, caused an extinction event. It's fucking boysenberry syrup. Y'all, boysenberry jam is so fucking good. It, I don't even know like... what it tastes like. I don't even know what it tastes like. It's like it... Like, a little bit. I've had it before, but I can't like think of it. It's like slightly tartar grapes. Maybe, maybe like a halfway point between like a tart grape and a nice blueberry. I don't know. It's hard to describe. Well, yeah, I know what I'm buying. Uh, by it's the similar way, to a loganberry. Might... Yeah, you. I. I can't explain to you how that doesn't clear anything up, Miles. <laughs> you know, I'm just like I'm coming to realize that there's a lot more berries in the world than I thought there were. You know, I thought I knew every, I thought I knew every berry, but I was wrong. Now there's Logan berries. Like and I've Marian never had berries. elderberry or whatever yes. the hell that is. I have yeah. had elderberry. I have not. I did try Woodruff lemonade and it was really good. Uh, anyway, my name's Tobias, and if you thought it wasn't correct for a Spinosaurus to be there, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. also, Jake does meet up with Cassie and they have just like a nice little moment under the stars but Jake is like I tried to morph T-Rex and I couldn't like Jake Jake you're the only one who remembers the last Sario rip you already know that you can't morph things you acquired during a Sario rip also I know it's disappointing you really should not be able to turn into a T-Rex in the 1990s America it's a really bad idea it's it's sketchy enough when your friend is a grizzly bear and you're a tiger running around (laughs) We can't transform into dinosaurs anymore after causing the extinction event of the dinosaurs. Maybe that's for the best. I've, I've seen what happens when a T-Rex is loose in California. I've seen the Lost World. It goes up to a little girl's window to scare the parents about like, oh, what if a dinosaur abducted my child from her bed or something? Because it was drinking from their swimming pool and ate their dog and has their dog's doghouse hanging by a chain from its mouth. <laughs> and why of all things is that like is that is that fucking not not really a dinosaur but a genetically engineered semi-dinosaur just being like ooh chlorinated water my favorite oh man that movie's so fucking dumb dude lost world is dude the bit where they're like in the weird train truck that's like hanging off the cliff and they and it like falls around them yeah <laughs> i mean it is at least better than jurassic park 3 I don't know, that had a real Spinosaurus. Not that fake, late Cretaceous bullshit. The one nice thing I can say about Jurassic Park 3 is that it had the uh, pterosaurs and pteranodon uh, birdcage zone that was in the original book for for the Lost World Jurassic Park. Also the original open to the book. The original opening to the book featured that little girl getting attacked by Comsognathuses. Oh yeah. 
but I ain't got shit good to say about um, what's his name? I can't remember. Michael Crichton. Yeah. yeah asshole. I what's up with him? Is he sus? Is he fucked up? Do we not like Michael Crichton? He is. Isn't I want to say he's Young Earth creationist, which feels wrong. Yeah. He's yeah. he's some kind of like deeply anti-science pseudoscience bullshit person. Here's. <laughs> Anyone listening, here's your homework. Go to Wikipedia page for Michael Crichton and try to find if there's a tab that says controversies. I'm going to it right now. Yeah, so am I. Nah, I guess me too. Oh, he's a global warming denier. Oh. Ooh. Well, that's unfortunate. Yeah, he he doesn't think global warming is real. He did die in 2008. No, we knew. We definitely knew. We absolutely knew. We've known for quite a long time. Yes. Yes, we have. And so uh, have the gas companies. Na- oh, god damn it. First. Uh, coming up... Well, in, in, in lighter news, coming up next on the On Air Book Fair podcast, what are we reading? <laughs> Before we all boil to death. Uh, Dan, do you want to take this one? It's, it's uh, a series near and dear to your heart. Sure. So, Miles discovered that... Uh, scholastic it was scholastic right so that this uh, is it's the, a uh, uh it's a some national library association okay the national library association uh having a a summer theme of tales and tales as in t-a-l-e-s and t-a-i-l-s yeah so we're going to be reading the first i imagine we'll do the first one uh the redwall book and if you didn't read the redwall books oh man I, I'm really excited for this because I didn't. from fifth grade I didn't straight on through to eighth, ninth, ten. I don't know. Whenever I discovered Pern, I kept going. Um, I read these books nonstop because there are tons and tons of them, and there's just a really good feel to the world. I'm. I know there are some issues with it now, looking back on it. Like, we'll get into it. But it's about like medieval mice. Is that medieval right? Medieval mice and other animals and. Um, and they're quasi, yeah. So there's a bunch of uh, medieval mice who live in an abbey, um, Redwall Abbey. Uh, there's no defined religion there, but they have an order of monks who are devoted to peace. And invariably, uh, forces of evil intent on disrupting that peace just kind of keep on coming to this place and other places around the world that uh, Brian Jakes keeps on building and building. Um, yeah, it's it's I really like it. Um, it's a bit longer than some of the stuff we've read, but it's, it's fun. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of Xenofiction books with animal characters. Like it's, it's fun. Awesome. Xenofiction. Uh, all right. So the are first we doing that Red all Wall. as one episode or are we doing that split up into two? I am thinking because of the length, it might be best off to do it as two. Knowing right. me and the fact, and the fact, well, you know, I usually read the books in the last minute. I can't do that with this one. Physically impossible. Can't be done. So, okay. I'm going to say two two sessions is probably best for it. Okay. Um, plus there's so much in there, I feel. Like. Yeah, so it's right. the first book of first book of Redwall just titled Redwall. Yes. Uh 1986 book by Brian Jacques. Jake? Did you say Jake's, I don't remember? Because he is very British or he, he was. Um he decided not to go with the French pronunciation and he he says it's pronounced Jake's. Well, la di da. Oh, there's a graphic novel. He's That's a man cool. from Liverpool. I don't know what to do. <laughs> Ooh, oh, that, actually, uh, that becomes a question: now, uh, Should we do the graphic novel or should we do the original novel? 
Um, I think oh, probably definitely original. original. Definitely Look, original this... novel to get the descriptions and everything right. Oh yeah, Look, we got to get this. Podcast is about reading books, not some dang comics. <laughs> That's not real literature. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I'm also seeing that uh, in February of this year there was announced a an animated feature film adaptation through Netflix. Oh, for so, Redwall. For Redwall, yeah. So keep an eye oh. out for that. Yeah. Oh, uh, the. Uh, the illustrator for the Animorphs graphic novels is Chris Grine. Uh, really good artist. Look that up. Uh, also, mostly for your benefit, guys, but also if people are listening and interested, um, uh, David Mattingly, the original cover artist for Animorphs, does sell prints of those things. Uh, however, Whoa. Uh, Romas Kukalis and Allison Barrows who were the cover artists for the Chronicles book series for uh, Animorphs, like Analyte Chronicles, Alamus Chronicles, them. They sell prints of their art uh, as well. And I like those covers a lot more. Those are way cooler. I'm really tempted to order the uh, to order the Hork-Bajir Chronicles You want me to put a link cover. in the uh, in the podcast episode? Ooh, you know what? Uh, maybe we should. Maybe we should do one for... Uh, the Kukalis Barrows one and the David Mattingly one. Just to be fair, because technically the Megamorphs 2 cover is not on either of those uh, sites. But, yeah. Support support artists. And support our podcast. You can send us an email at uh, onairbookfair at gmail.com or go on to uh, anchor.fm slash onairbookfair. Wait, is that right? I think so. Um, it's been a while. Uh, and uh, you could send us a like a voicemail on there. You could give us a freaking... Yeah, it's on our book fair at gmail.com. And... Okay, great. Awesome. I can check. Hold on. Let me pull up the... Uh... Oh, yeah. And it's anchor.fm slash on our book fair. And we've uh, talked about a bunch of books. And we will next, next time. How long is that going to take? We'll see. Hopefully two yes. weeks. Yes. Hopefully. Okay. Goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. Roll back the rock to the dawn of time and sang this song with me. <laughs>